podcast this week. We're live for a 300th episode of King's Place London! So good, so good. There's just three of you in here as well. You're really noisy. It's all good. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. This is somehow, I don't even know how, the 300th episode of the Empire Podcast. If you don't count the spoiler specials and the interview specials and all the other specials that we've done, this is the 300th regular edition. 300 episodes. That's almost as many episodes as there are movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Uh, and over the next couple of hours or so, we'll be doing what we do best. <laughs> uh, we'll be reviewing the week's big movies. We'll be answering your questions to the best of our ability. And believe me, that's a very important disclaimer to the best of our ability. We'll be discussing the week's big movie news. I will be honest, we did want Jerry Butler to be on this podcast to just walk on and go, less as Empire! Uh, but when he found out that we have a 4.5 rating on the Apple Store's podcast page, he thought, no, that's too critically acclaimed for me. I can't... <laughs> I can't be a part of that. It's not in my DNA. So sadly, we don't have any Jerry Butler with you, but it's a bit of a shame. But we do have some cracking guests that you don't know who they are, right? Because <laughs> we haven't recorded this bit after the guests have been on, so... So that's good. So there's some surprises coming your way, which is lovely. And you're going to have the guests whenever, whenever you get tired of four giggling idiots up here on stage. Uh, speaking of which, it is time to meet tonight's three colleagues of such lethal cunning, who just like you guys have given up their time on the most romantic night of the year, Simon Pegg's birthday. <laughs> what a time to be alive. I don't know about you, but when I get home, I'm going to show my wife some hot fuzz. <laughs> Let's be honest, it's probably more run, fat boy, run, to be honest, but <laughs> still. Anyway, on to the colleagues of Such Lethal Cunning. Uh, first up is our geek queen, a lady who, and I don't like to talk about the sex lives of my fellow panelists, but I think she's in for some hot action later on. She told me backstage that she's got a hot thing lined up later on with Lynn, Manuel, and Miranda. <laughs> Amazing. Will you please welcome Helena O'Hara! As your libel lawyer, as your libel lawyer, I'm not uh, sure that's that's the right thing to say. That's totally true. It, that's not. It's, totally it's true. not. It's, to, it's not true. It's not true. Okay. Okay. There we go. Uh, next up is our online editor in chief, a man who has postponed his very, very special Valentine's Day plans of having a chicken and mushroom pot noodle whilst cry wanking during an episode of The West Wing. <laughs> He likes to call it Tuesday. <laughs> Will you please welcome James Dyer? Thanks for that. What? Thanks for that. Yeah, okay. Did I get the flavor right? <laughs> At least, okay. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. 
Okay, last but not least is a woman who makes Mother Teresa look like the alien queen. And the alien queen looked like Ma Fratelli from the Goonies. And Ma Fratelli from the Goonies looked like Margaret Thatcher, which is basically my way of saying that she is a saint amongst us. She is just a wondrous apparition of a woman who has decided to dazzle us tonight with her charm, sophistication, and incredible dress sense. And if that doesn't get me a pay rise, then what the fuck will? Uh, Please rise for, but at the same time, avoid eye contact with... (laughs) Empire's Editor-in-Chief, Terry White! A small glass of red wine. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> well, we didn't tell you. This is like basically Empire Thunderdome Part Two. So James and I have now been fired, and you must all fight it out to replace us. <laughs> which is why we're locking the doors. There you go. Go for it. Um, am I really fired? No, I'm not. Okay, that's good. Uh, so let's get on with the news portion. Hello, everyone. How are you? Yeah, good. 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 That's not news, by the way. That's just me no. asking how you are. <laughs> sure. I'd like to thank you for organising tonight as a sort of subterfuge for the fact that I didn't have anything else to do. So, <laughs> appreciate that. You know, I, I based this night entirely around that. I like to make sure that you, you feel, you know, loved. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> but still. Uh, Helen O'Hara, I'm going to start Hi. with you. Great. Super uh, good. Yes. Definitely good. Prepared. What's been happening in the world of Hollywood? <laughs> Definitely prepared. <laughs> That's good. What's been happening in the world of Hollywood? Should we start with Paul King? We should start with yeah, Paul let's King. Let's start with Paul King because he is um, much beloved by us now for two Paddington movies, um, and he has announced that his uh, well, he's in talks at least to bring a new Willy Wonka film to the screen, which is a weird thing to call Paddington Three, but I guess <laughs> um, I, I guess that he's got a, a rhyme or reason to it. Um, but apparently, according to the Hollywood Reporter, what they're actually planning to do is not a third adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. This would be an origin. Story. Oh no! Yeah. Like Wonka begins. Yes, <laughs> yes. Wonka begins. I, I mean, look, we, we all groan at that, and undeservedly, because there are too many origin stories and they're boring. But maybe this one will be great. Yes. Believe, believe in Paul King. Did we not get some of the Wonka origin in the most recent one? Isn't yes, like we his did. dad's yes. like yeah. a psychotic so there dentist? Was a, there was a flashback, if you remember, and Christopher Lee was a dentist who wouldn't let young Willie eat any sweets. The monster. And therefore, he became obsessed with sugar. And that's, that's it. That's all we got, really. <laughs> that was the origin story. That was the, yeah. that was the origin story. I really like that film. It has one good gag. It has one great gag where he, uh, a young Willie, uh, is going through what we think is a tour of the world, and it turns out to be a Flags, Flags of the World yes. uh, museum exhibit, which is a lot funnier on screen <laughs> than I just made it sound. <laughs> but trust me, it is very, very Thanks. good. Yeah. But that's, generally speaking, not a good film. No, it is not. Not a good film. Uh, but we believe in Paul King. Uh, I think, as I said on Twitter the other day, uh, I love what Paul King is doing so much with the Paddington movie. He said, if he were to make a snuff movie about my own death, <laughs> starring me as myself, yeah. I would still be going, oh, it's probably lovely, thank you. It would probably be charming. It would be so charming. Oh, my I would absolutely oh. watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's one. <laughs> Netflix are now interested. Mm. Yeah, it's, that's cool. Well, you know, as yeah. ever, we, we shall keep an eye on this. Absolutely, and we will hope for the best. It, I mean, it could be great. And uh... Segwaying nicely. So also, uh, Paddington-related, uh, Simon Farnaby, isn't he, along with uh, Muppet's director uh, James Bobin, doing an action man? 
movie. He yes. is. Which is, yeah. which is curious, because Action Man is like the British version of G.I. Joe, which already has an incredibly good high-quality movie, so <laughs> I don't <laughs> 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 really understand what this is bringing to that. Uh, apart from presumably like fuzzy hair and the little eyes that follow British everywhere. accents, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. yeah, no, it's weird, isn't it? Because does anyone understand this? So it's Action Man, but also Action Force, which was a separate thing, but it's also based on GI Joe. I don't know the timeline in this, but both of them are British. Nobody cares. Yeah. I care. <laughs> I, used cares. To, I used to play it's with fun. Action Force. It was you know it was back mm. in back in the day. Not not now. No. <laughs> I don't I don't play with my Action Force toys now. But it always threw me whenever it got rebranded as GI Joe over yeah. here. Who was your favourite character? Uh, the, the the swimmy man. Yeah, he was good. I liked him. <laughs> I don't remember any of the names apart from Cobra Commander, but there was a bloke that you could swim, and I remember playing with him in the sink. And, you know, wow. just moving the dishes to one side. Happy Glorious days. days. Happy days. Is it? Yeah. Did anyone see the trailer for Benji? No? There's a new Netflix version of Benji. Am I the only one who cares You are again? the only person who cares about What is about wrong this? with you people? You have no souls. What is so Benji? Benji is the, it's Benji's shit lassie, essentially. So... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try and sell this slightly better for the sake of Netflix people. Um, it's like uh, so it's mid-70s, I want to say. There was a TV show. It was a movie. I think it started out. It's called Benji, and it's about a little mongrel dog that gets in adventures like the littlest hobo, but smaller. Uh, saves small children, sort of commits minor crimes, that kind of thing. Um, smaller than the littlest hobo. Yeah. Well, it's, just like a little, it's like a little mutt thing. That makes like no a, sense. What yeah. Is, yeah. Was yeah. Benji not a hobo then? <laughs> is the it like a series hobo of... Must be the littlest hobo. we don't hobo. use the word hobo. Is it a Russian doll of dogs? Is, yeah. You have the littlest the hobo hobos inside Lassie. And yeah. Benji's in, yeah. Um, no, but the thing is, so it's one film, but there's. <laughs> Not like that. Not like I think that. I've seen this movie, actually. Now, <laughs> now you I don't doubt it. it. The point is, there's like 10 of these films. Like, it was an absolute phenomenon going through the 70s and the 80s, and it crescendoed for me, stop it, in. Uh, Benji the Hunted, which is... No, I, I shit you not. So Benji gets lost in the wilderness. Teams, then there's a cougar pup that gets kidnapped by an eagle at one point. And Benji teams up with a badger, two ferrets, an owl, and some kind of possum to take on a timber wolf. And I'm not fucking joking. This is a genuine thing. And the climax of the film, spoiler, he hides in a bush and gets the wolf to run at him, and he ducks, and the wolf flies through the bush, and there's a cliff behind no, it, and plummets no. to a bloody doom at the bottom of it. It's, wow. it's hilarious. Was this like a drug dream? Is this a drug dream? <laughs> no, this is a like genuine a thing. Look it up. No, it gets worse because they also, they were, in I think 87, there was a TV show called Benji, Zax and the Alien Prince. Someone must have seen that. Yes. That one, yeah. Thank you, old people. Um, <laughs> where Benji teams up with an alien prince and a little shit robot called Zax and solves crimes and commits crimes. Okay. I'm just coming to terms with the fact you just said climax and bush in the same sentence, and I, <laughs> and I let it go. Yeah, this sounds amazing. This sounds. I, I'm fully on board with this. I love dogs, oh. and I love dogs that, that that have adventures with wolves. Yeah, so I'm all for and it. Badgers. Yes, I feel like yeah. wolves are much maligned in this story, but I'll let it go. Yeah. <laughs> can I uh, can I talk about the Amy Schumer? Trailer, oh yeah. God. yeah. Um, me and James were shouting, yeah. kind of at each other about this. We, that's what our discussions in our office are like: shouting generally in each other's direction. I feel pretty. Is everyone see, did everyone see that this week? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was still horrified. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was like trying to process my emotions on it because I love Amy Schumer. I thought Trainwreck was funny as fuck. We were talking about John Cena's amazing comedic God, yeah. turn. So Who funny. knew WWE to this? That's a whole other story, which may one day appear in Empire. Can't by the way. So I was quite hopeful for this trailer and then it just seemed to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, she falls off a, a bike or a running treadmill. Yeah. treadmill. I've, I've never been bike. to a gym. She's, 
She falls off a machine that's making her move. No, she, a treadmill, thank it you. It was a bike. A no, bike. Okay. Well, Shit. Same thing, right? <laughs> so she falls off, gets a ponytail stuck, basically gets a bit scalped, has concussion, and then um, decides she has the confidence to think she's attractive. Mm. Well, also then there's a wet T-shirt competition scene that we also saw in the trailer, where which the gag seemed to be... About her, the flab on her belly, yeah. kind of ribbling, ribbling, rippling, sure. bumbling, yeah, in time moment. with the music. And, yeah. um, and quite rightly, I think people were rather annoyed at what they saw as, mm. as body shaming and just like cheap, cheap, cheap laughs. And somebody did point out, like, actually wasn't Shallow Hal already made, mm. like about. Yeah, this is Shallow Hal, but without the laughs. But the weird thing is, Shallow Hal was Shallow Hal without the laughs. <laughs> So I'm not sure what the point of this film is. Oh, it's a fucking hate crime of a trailer. It really is. It's, uh, no, I mean, it's, a, it's a night, this film. What do you think? What do you think? Christmas Eve, James, Christmas yes, Eve. I'm sure it'd be great. I'm hoping it's just a bad, I genuinely am hoping it's just a bad trailer and that she yeah. has a specific person that she thinks she is in mind. Like, she was talking to Emily, mm. unpronounceable name. Ratajkowski? Um, Ratajkowski. And um, uh, I, I got the impression she, she genuinely thought she was her almost mm. as a result of mm. the concussion and, and so that kind of is a like it's a, at least more specific and a little bit but less if this film know. comes out in 2002 you're like meh it's a bit shit yeah. now it just feels really just wrong well there is a bit of form right <laughs> if you think about Trainwreck and it's all going so brilliantly and then yeah. there's the kind of crushing um, last 20 minutes where it conforms to every rom-com stereotype going and it done so well up until that point of, of subverting so much of it um, of being dead original then you can tell somebody in a studio in Burbank was like no 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 mate you've got to dress up as a cheerleader you've got to go back and get your man the bit where she throws out her booze is one of the most offensive things I've seen in cinema in years it's like don't throw away what, what is it with like sorry but it's, I'm a single woman what is it about men who are like we want you to throw away your booze why? Why does this mean I'm... What, you're, why? you're addressing this at the table of teetotals. I know. So you know <laughs> but why does that make me a better woman not to drink? Maybe why it are, does. Why, why are you asking me that yeah. question? <laughs> Help! Were, were you offended because you thought it was real booze? It wasn't real... I'm guessing it wasn't real booze. You're going, that's a waste! <laughs> I need it! Bring it here! It may have coloured my opinion of um, Amy Schumer and films, actually. Okay. <laughs> wow. That seems fair. That seems yeah. fair. Uh, can we talk about something that, that, that fills my heart with joy? Which yeah. Marvel film is it? Really? <laughs> which, which one? Which Marvel film is it? It's not a Marvel film, but in my mind it kind of is. And it's Angel Has Fallen, oh, which God. is yes! the latest... I know, I can't believe it either. Yeah. The, latest, <laughs> the latest outing of Jerry Butler uh, as Mike Bannon. More important back. Piper Parabo is still alive. She's a yes. thing. She's a thing. Who knew she was? Piper Parabo has signed on today, uh, I believe willingly, but we're trying to work <laughs> that out, to star alongside Jerry Butler as Mike Banning. Strangely, She's kind of pseudo. No, but like two Mike along- That'd be amazing, wouldn't That'd it? Really that would good. be great. Uh, and uh, they're going to start filming us soon. No word, of course, on whether Aaron Eckhart is going to return as President oh, yeah. Benjamin Asher, but uh, still excited about but that. But it's uh, set. It's on set. Air Force, it's shit Air Force One, isn't it? Really? Yeah. It's just but Air it's, Force One without Gary Oldman. It's Air Force One, guys, but on a plane. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike Banning is on Air Force One with, I presume, President Benjamin Asher. So Eckhart has to come back. I mean, he just has to. And then it all goes to shit, and what? Mike Banning has to step in. And the first two movies are awful beyond belief. <gasps> but I love every frame. And I, I want to I see this movie as well. And they're also making a Den of Thieves too. Yes, I, I was about to say, mm. yeah. 
it, apparently it did really well. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, or, or either it did really, really well around the world, or it was made for 50p in the first place, so it didn't really need to do that well around the world. Um, it's, I think yeah. a little bit of both, bit of both, if we're honest. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, he was, of course, LAPD Sheriff Big Nick <laughs> O'Brien. <laughs> How could we forget? Who took down a bank robbery gang, so... Originally um, from Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, in the new one, he'll be tracking Donny, who was um, Shay Jackson Jr.'s character, um, who is teaming up with the infamous Panther Mafia to rob <laughs> the world's biggest diamond exchange. Oh, uh, yes. I like yes. your diamond. Would you like my diamonds? Here, let's exchange Absolutely. diamonds. Yes, hot, diamonds. <laughs> hot diamonds in your area want to be exchanged. <laughs> I mean, I know you guys probably don't share my optimism about this, but can we just be happy about the fact that Jerry Butler, who is a lovely, lovely guy lovely and a great interview. I don't know if you caught him on the podcast a few weeks ago for Geostorm. Great, great fun. Is working. Yes. And, and on, the, on this, the 300th yeah. podcast of all podcasts, let oh. us celebrate Jerry Butler. Can we have a moment's applause for Jerry Butler? Jerry. Yes! <laughs> Jerry Butler. Uh, so what else we got? Kitty, Kitty Pride. Who? Kitty Pride. Yes. Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride. Yes. Not here. Mm. Okay. Uh, so Brian Michael Bendis is mm-hmm. writing this. Now that is a bit weird. There's, there was one who was there a word? Back. There is was Brian a Michael Bendis Nerd. here? Uh, Brian Michael Bendis is a long-time Marvel writer, uh, and he then he created uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man. He created Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. or co-created, I should say. Uh, but I think wasn't the controversy he left Marvel to join DC? Uh, Wait, sorry. hang on. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, in November last year. Yeah. So to then be writing this feels a little bit weird. Because, I mean, he's big DC, like, he's building up to a big DC storyline that he's doing, I think, in the summer. Uh, so he's completely cut ties with Marvel. Though technically this is Fox and not yes. Disney, therefore not Marvel, therefore not a conflict of interest, Helen. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, but no, so that's an interesting one. So Kitty Bride getting a movie. Uh, it, the code name for this was 143, wasn't it? Which yes. people are thinking relates to Uncanny X-Men 143, which is yes. when she's alone in the house and attacked by a demon. Yeah. I mean, we've all not? been there, haven't we? <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting, though. I mean, he has he, he was the big thing for mm. a while, and everybody seemed to love him. And then everyone started to notice, well, I mean, he kind of repeats himself a little bit. And he has very distinctive dialogue quirks where somebody will say the same thing back to each other like 40 times. Really? 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 Really. Really. Um, and so he'll do things like that. And he, he, he sets up big things. Like he'll mess with the character's backstory to set up something that sounds like it could be really cool. And then it never happens because he kind of forgets about it. So he kind of, I think people fell a little bit out of love with him in recent years, maybe. And I'm not sure how well this has been greeted as a result. But if it's a standalone film, then presumably there are no problems with him setting things up and then dropping them. I still think it seemed like a seismic event when he moved to to DC. Um, So I still think he's he's held in very, very high esteem. The thing that surprises me is that uh, the comic books have a wealth of incredible writing talent over the years and Hollywood doesn't seem to have tapped that talent at all. These these are people who write these characters week in, week out, and they know them inside out. And they would be my first port of call, quite frankly. I mean, there are amazing writers on the Marvel movies in particular, uh, but I, I feel that, you know, well, come on, guys. It's me. I've got my Kevin Feige underpants on, and I'm raring to go. But I would honestly look at the, the, the comic pool for, for some And there's a guy talent. who wrote a really good uh, X-Men arc they should look at, uh, Joss Whedon. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
All right. So we talk about another comic book movie, which this, this news broke, I think, the nanosecond that we put the podcast up last week, which is that Joaquin Phoenix is in talks to play the Joker. Yeah. Or is the Joker in talks to play Joaquin Phoenix? I can't <laughs> quite figure that one out. And this is the, the standalone Todd Phillips directed Martin Scorsese executive produced movie, (laughs) which uh, will run concurrently with the one true Joker, Jared Leto, uh, (laughs) when he returns for whenever it is. (laughs) So we're all excited about this, aren't we? I mean, I I, I was angry about this on Twitter, but only because I want there to be one Joker and at a time. Yeah, at a a time, at a time. Mm. Yeah, Mm. I do. I think I agree. But if one Joker say was quite poor. Then the do- <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> then the door is wide open mm. for no joke. And I know, I know, Wacking Phoenix has got that slightly uh, uh, irritating um, thing going on. But I think he's <laughs> he's Jesus. He is I, Jesus, right? But he he has the right level in his performance. He has the right level of completely deranged yeah, and the, the the sinister edge that you need for the Joker. <laughs> <laughs> A compl- I know it doesn't sound like I'm saying nice things, but I am. No, you're saying you're saying he would take these as compliments. Believe me, I, <laughs> sure he would. I think um, that he would skin me like- alive and then take them as compliments and yeah. wear me as a shawl. But yeah, <laughs> but in in one of those great Hollywood casting things. Uh, so this is the origin story of, story of Jared Leto's Joker, who is 46. Jared Leto is 46. Um, and Joaquin Phoenix is 43. Yeah. Um, so, like, he's, he's come a long way really fast. Maybe he's like... <laughs> really fast. It could be like Boss Baby. Just, <laughs> just whacking Phoenix the Oscar in a, nominated. The, the Oscar the nominated. Oscar nominated. Boss, baby. Boss Baby, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix in a nappy for two hours. Uh, or it could be, and this is my personal theory, it could be like Bowfinger, where they just film Whacking Phoenix in his everyday life <laughs> yeah. without him knowing about it and then just stick it out as a Joker movie. Uh, very, very quickly, because we do have to get on with the rest of the show. Uh, let's just uh, run through predictions for the BAFTAs. Uh, so I'm going to race through the categories. Best actor in a supporting role. Oh, Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, Huge Grant, Christopher Emergency Plumber, and Willem Dafoe for the Florida Project. I think in this country only, uh-huh. Hugh Grant might edge it. God damn it, yes. Come on. I'm all for that. All for that. Uh, anyone else? Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it should be Christopher Plummer, but um, it will be Willem Dafoe. Oh, that'd be good. I'd be very happy about Would that. Would you, though? Yeah. I mean, I really like the Florida film. Project, but he's in it for like five minutes. He's, really he's not in it for five minutes. He's, he's, he's six, the, seven minutes. He's, he's at least he's 12. constantly in it. Mm. <laughs> he's constantly in it. He's Great the very film. definition of a supporting actor, yeah. I think, in that film. He's very, very good. He's very supportive. Uh, best actor in the leading role Daniel Day Lewis, Timothy Chalamet, Daniel Kaluuya, Gary Oldman, Jamie Bell. Gary Oldman. Okay. I mean, will win. Yeah, he will. Best yeah. actress in the leading role, Annette Benning, Sally Hawkins, Frances McDormand, Margot Robbie, and Saoirse Ronan. McDormand? McDormand. Yeah, I think Sally Hawkins by um, Egypt, yeah. um, and I think Frances McDormand will win oh, the Oscars. Yeah. And rightly so. Yeah. Home field advantage. Uh, and best film is the one that's coming up here now on my phone. The Shape of Water, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Three Billboards Outside Ebby, Missouri, and Call Me By Your Name. Shape of water. Shape of water. I, I think, think they'll walk it. I think the signs are pointing to three billboards, actually. Ooh. Yes, I'm with Helen. Oh, that's billboards exciting. Billboards all the way. Mm. All no. good. All good. All right, that's enough for movie news. Time now for our first guest. He, in the space of just a couple of years, has become one of the hottest young actors on the planet. He caught the eye in a sharp suit with his debut film in 2014. 
reprised the role last year in the vaguely controversial sequel, and along the way he's played a gangster, a winter Olympian, a singing gorilla, and next he'll be seen adding another string to his bow, quite literally, <laughs> as the latest big screen Robin Hood. Not bad for a boy from the small Welsh town of Lanfluff. <laughs> Aberystwyth, please welcome the wickedly talented one and only Taron Edgerton! Wait, 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 wait. We see this, we see this. Hey everybody, amazing. That was such a lovely welcome. It's good, wasn't it? I've got to just say, right, so Chris got in touch with me a few days ago and goes, hey mate, do you want to do a podcast? I was like, what day? Valentine's. Well, it's a bit tricky, you know, for obvious reasons. <laughs> what time? 7.05pm. Bit precise. Right. <clears throat> he didn't mention there was going to be 400 people watching. <laughs> I literally turned out 10 minutes ago and you're all here. But that's fun. That's showbiz, baby. <laughs> <laughs> It's fine, we can roll with it, we can work with it, it's okay. Totally, I'm how loving it. Yeah, loving it's it. good, it's good. How are you? I'm really good, man. I'm Excellent. all right. Yeah, I'm very pleased to be here. Well, thank you for interrupting your Valentine's Day, and thank no, you for okay. interrupting your Valentine's Day to watch yeah, this likewise. as well. Uh, what are you uh, up to at the moment? What's keeping you busy? Um, so, at the moment, I'm kind of... I'm preparing for a role... Um, if Matthew Vaughan is to be believed, I'm about to play. Uh, I'm about to play Elton John. Wow. So um, I'm kind of doing bits of piano and lots of singing lessons. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, that's kind of it, really. I think we're supposed to start shooting in May. It may be Amazing. June. Amazing. Um, this is Rocket Man. This is the. This is Rocket Man. Yeah, it's uh, a, a live action musical with Elton songs, and. I mean, the plan is... I've read the script, obviously. I mean, I've decided to play the part. <laughs> I do do that most of the time. Um, it's quite adult, should we say. Uh, there's, it doesn't shy away from the kind of more grown-up sides of his life. Lots of, lots of quite adventurous hedonism, should we, <laughs> should we say. It kind of, it's sort of him between the ages of, like, 17 and 32. Okay. So, um, is that why you're in London to practice hedonism? Is that? Yeah, yeah, is that what yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. I've got some M and M's here. If you want to get started, <laughs> have you got any of the blue ones? That's the question. <laughs> I don't know. I'll double check. You, you just talk, and I'll check. I'll talk. Yeah. I'll talk about yourself. Come talk about yourself. But uh, Elton John's quite a quite a thing. I mean, obviously you've you've played Eddie the Eagle, Edwards. You, yeah. You know, so you, you've got some, and it's uh, some experience of redheads. Some experience of redheads. Uh, yeah, I, it's weird. It's really weird because. As a sort of a jumped-up little juvenile actor about two years ago, I kind of emailed my agents, who happened to be the same agents as Tom Hardy's, and said, so is, um, is Tom going to do it? Because, you know, it's been a few years, and I... Just you wait, guys. Just you wait. <laughs> Just you wait. You've, see, you've seen The Matrix, haven't you? <laughs> um, and weirdly, by some twist of fate, a couple of years later, it came around. Matthew said, I love to sing... And I've wanted to do a musical for a while. And Matthew just said, look, there's this... Because obviously Elton, for those of you who, ha who haven't seen it, Elton John has a part in Kingsman too. And he said, look, I'm thinking of working with Elton's production company to make this movie. Uh, how do you feel about playing Elton? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's how it started. Uh, Dexter Fletcher, who did the movie, Eddie the yes. Eagle. Um, yeah. 
with me is going to direct it. Matthew's going to produce, along with Elton and David Furnish and Matthew's regular producers. Wow. That's interesting that Elton's involved, and, but as you say, it's still not shying away. Because I think the no, other John you know what? fairly well publicised. So, you know. Totally. And he's, I think, you know, he's a proper... I mean, he's an artist and he's interested in reality to a point in, in terms of not shying away from the kind of darker sides of his life, but also um, is really, he, you know, we're, it's a, we're kind of referring to it as a fantasy musical. So although it kind of follows his life quite accurately between mm. the time period we're dealing with, there's also some kind of slightly bizarre, fantastical elements to it, which I think will make it really, really fun uh, and kind of otherworldly. And I just think it's cool to kind of, have a movie that doesn't shy away from darkness and kind of, mm. uh, and then, you know, also has me breaking into thong every <laughs> few minutes. I'm very camp, haven't I? Am I normally this, am I normally this camp? It's a blue M&M, that'll do it to you. It's, it's, there we, there we go. Yeah. So uh, are you going to be approximating Elton's tones? Because he's got a fair yeah, voice. I, yeah, I've, I mean, I'm trying. The big thing is, you know, his voice, he's like Michael Caine. His voice has changed yeah. so much. So a lot of what I've been thinking about is where do you, where do you pitch it? Don't do it like Michael Caine. That would be... A... <laughs> Sad songs. That's, they say, say so much. much. They say so much. Very good. I'm desperately trying to think of another one really quickly. While I call it the bloody blues. That's really good. <laughs> I think that deserves a round of applause. Very good. Anyway, but yeah, do it like Elton John. I'll try and do it like Elton John. I think it there's a I think there's an element of I don't know. I think I think it's nice to see flavors and kind of mannerisms, but I also think that the kind of the performances that are an amalgamation of the actor and the character are kind of slightly more interesting than something that's overly impressionistic mm. because it comes from a sort of more, that's my get out clause for when I'm not very good. <laughs> Fair enough. You heard it here first. But that's... He intended not to be like him. <laughs> he never wanted to be like him. Yeah, there we are. they've just played records and no one knows the difference. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's coming up in your immediate future. And then obviously we've got Robin Hood coming up as well. Because... Yeah, yeah. So I, so that, I think that is currently planned to come out in September. Um, I got an email yesterday saying it's picture locked. They've got a, got a paint in a hell of a lot of arrows yet. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the edit is kind of done in that sense. Um, and I'm really, really excited about it. It's been a very, I mean, I signed on to do that about six months after Kingsman won, I think. So it's been quite a long process. Um, but I loved making it. It's a great cast. I mean, Ben Mendelssohn as the Sheriff of Nottingham is just incredible. And I loved, loved, loved working with him. I mean, he's properly horrible. He really is. <laughs> like, you know, Alan Rickman, you know, the late, great Alan Rickman, who actually, weirdly... I don't know if I've ever said this in an interview before, but actually, Alan Rickman called me, actually, when I was thinking about it. It's just the kind of thing that happens all the time. Uh, he, he, called me, he called me when I was thinking of doing this and kind of talked me through it, because really, he was you know, really, really, really close with Dexter Fletcher. But I think it's going to be really cool. It's really... Otto Bathurst, who did Peaky Blinders, yeah. um, directed it, and he's, he's brilliant. I mean... It, I think you you, ne you never know with I mean I say this like I've made a million of them I haven't at all but what your what what I had hoped it would be is and I believe it still will be is something that is kind of 
something that kind of casts a new light on on the legend, really, and makes him real uh, and makes him a character. Not that you know Russell Crowe or any of those Kevin Costner or any of those guys didn't make him real, but I just I think what I was really interested in was giving it enough of a contemporary feel to kind of examine him as a young as a young boy yeah. and. Um, I, I have every faith it will be that, but I'm yet to see it. But it's, as I say, it's got a great cast. It looks amazing. It's myself and Jamie Foxx and Ben Mendelsohn. It's a good cast. It's a bloody good very cast. ugly Jamie Dorn and constantly <laughs> stood by me, making me look bad. But yeah, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, but they're, they're going to CG his face with warts and stuff. And just yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrible. They're going to make him look yeah. real ugly. It was in my contract. Uh, He's not aware of that. Yeah. Can you uh, can you share even a little bit of what Alan Rickman said to you about? Yeah. yeah. Do you know, it feels slightly perverse, actually. Mm. It feels a little bit perverse. All I will say is that he was an incredibly um, warm-spirited, generous man, and he was vice president of the drama school I went to and would faithfully come to all of the shows and impart kind of wisdom in a really humble way to anyone who was there to receive it. And I mean, I, I'm hesitant to even say that because it sounds like he was doling out advice in an unsolicited way and that's not the case at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was a really amazing man and it was quite a weird situation because I was sort of agonising over it and Dex said, why don't you speak to, why don't you speak to, you know, Alan Abay? <laughs> speak to Alan Abay. I always, I always ask Alan. Uh, Cockney needs a bit of work, doesn't it? <laughs> Won't be watching Sing again. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do care about my work. Um, so, <laughs> and he just called me out of the blue. Dex scheduled it, and it, I, I kind of thought it was going to be really weird, and it wasn't. And I'm not going to go into what he said because, yeah, but it was it what it was really, really lovely and considered and and kind and warm. But it's amazing. You you, uh, you mentioned there that uh, you haven't been doing this. A long time. You did. No, uh, you, no. you signed up for Robin Hood six months after Kingsman, and of course, famously, Kingsman. The very first day you were on set of Kingsman, the first Kingsman, was your very first day on a film set. Yeah, and uh, it's been an, an astronomical rise since then. Uh, how, in a weird way, because when fame is thrust upon someone quickly, it must be hard to stay adjusted and grounded. How do you even manage to remotely do? Well, that I'm not. This is a facade. A yeah. Um, no, I, I don't know. I, I mean. I think the thing that, you know, the thing that doesn't change is all of the people around you and who you are and what defines you. I don't, I mean, I love what I do, but I don't feel, I don't feel like it's intrinsically entwined with my identity in a way that it conditions everything I do. I feel more that, you know, what happened up until then conditions who I am and what I do. It's really lovely of you to say that. I think, you know, the actors I really admire, like Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins, are all guys who are unassuming and not, and funny and brilliant. But then when they turn up and do their thing, they absolutely smash it out of the park. And I I think there's a real quiet dignity about that. And am I suggesting I'm quiet and dignified? (laughs) I don't really know what I'm trying to say. I I think it's good to, to, you know, I strive. In terms of my day-to-day life and how I interact with people, I strive to be like my. I strive to be like the people I admire, like guys like that and guys like Hugh Jackman, who have got time for everyone. And because you know what, when you're, can I swear on this? Of course you can. Because you know when you're a shit to someone, like the feeling you walk away with. Because I have been and I'm, you know, regularly. I think everyone has moments. You know, uh, you know. The feeling when you walk away from an interaction having not behaved in the way that 
you or your mother would wish. Um, <laughs> that I carry that feeling for a while. Yeah, I carry that feeling for yeah, a yeah. while. Yeah. Whereas if I'm nice and pleasant. I mean, there are things like if you're sat, you know, having dinner with your girlfriend and it's 9.30pm and you're, there's a candle in between you, then no, I'm obviously not going to be that warm when you ask for a selfie. Yeah. But, but generally, I think you have to acknowledge that it's a kind of symbiotic relationship. And yeah, yeah, yeah. if you are, you know, it's like Brian Cranston said on Twitter the other day, didn't he? he said, I'm not going to do any more fan mail. And I thought, well, he's been doing it for 18 whatever years, you know. But he said, if you see me in the street come on, let's have a selfie. And I thought, that's just cool. Like, yeah. it's cool, you know. I think you've got to acknowledge that that's part of the gig. I think it's also, you know, like, I think it's also perfectly reasonable to say, actually, at the moment, it's not particularly... Yeah, of course. ...you know, appropriate time. Well, Taren- I went on a massive boring rant there, didn't I? <laughs> Jeez! Well, not only did you not know that there was 400 people here, you didn't know about the, the, the selfie-thon afterwards, where <laughs> everybody here gets to do a selfie with yeah, Taren, yeah, yeah. and... Three people are going to live with you for a week. I think that's, that's what we had decided. Yeah, I live in a camper van at the moment. By the way, so. <laughs> it's fine. It'll be cosy. That, be actually, cosy. that actually is true. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, excellent. Uh, so you, when you start off, when you're, when you're going to drama school and you're about ready to graduate, you must have visions of where you want to be. And I imagine you are where you want to be. But there must also be... You must have had a realistic, in a way, expectation. You must yeah. be thinking, well, four or five years after graduating from drama school, I'll have three episodes of Holby City in me. Yeah. I'll have done some plays in the West End. So, and that's, I and think that's, fine. that is a, a totally admirable, legitimate, and quite frankly, extremely desirable career for most actors. Most actors don't get to have a career that's as brilliant as that. And when I left, I knew the things I wanted to do. I wanted to work in those great... Um, not so much the West End thing, but like I wanted to work places like the National and the Donmar and the Almeida and um, and the and the Old Vic and the Young Vic because that was because good actors go there, actors who care about their craft go there. You don't go to drama school if you're expecting to make more than four or five hundred quid a week. You, yeah. you know, if you you ha- that's you go knowing that that's what you're aiming for. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. I walk past the guy who obviously will remain nameless, who was at drama school at the same time as me the other day, and he said he'd had one audition a year in three years, and it was just like, that guy at drama school was like the best guy, like the best guy. And I don't think it fundamentally... I think, you know, obviously you have to be reasonably good at it, but it's kind of luck and being in the right place at the right time, and that is definitely what happened to me. So, you know, my... Uh, it's exceeded all expectations and I am in a, like a, the most privileged position and I feel extremely grateful for it and the things it's allowed me to do have been really quite amazing and are the biggest source of pride in my life. Um, God, I'm getting real quite earnesty, <laughs> X-Factory about it, aren't I? But, um, it's Valentine's yeah, Day, we're all it's, I think that's what it is. I'm shed a tear, it's all good. Preparing for a Barry White kind of evening. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, not only is it Valentine's Day, it is the most romantic night of the year. It's Simon Pegg's birthday. So, Oh, really? How are you celebrating Simon Pegg's birthday? Do you have any plans? Uh, Spliff with a box of Jaffa cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Do you want another blue M&M? <laughs> have another one. Uh, I think we have time for maybe two quick questions. We can get the lights up and we maybe have... Fifth row, keep your hand up. Ed so Sheeran, get... apparently. <laughs> Hello, Ed. Hello, sir. How are you? 
I, I meant that in the nicest what possible way. Say nicest possible way. Tell you what, these blue ones are off the fucking chain. That's what I t- <laughs> <laughs> What Elton John song are you most looking forward to singing, and will you sing a bit of it now? Or Ed Sheeran, if you want to keep this going. So, <laughs> no. <laughs> um... Uh, the one... Uh, it's quite an interesting question because the one I'm, I'm most looking forward to singing... The two I'm most looking forward to singing, one isn't currently in it and the other one is not being sung by me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, the, the ones that I really love... Actually, Sad Songs Say So Much is not currently in the script, but I love Benny and the Jets. And I'm not actually doing that at the moment. But I will say that I am... The scene as written, which involves your song, I think is a really, really gorgeous, gorgeous scene. Um, And I'm very excited about performing it, but... No. (laughs) Hi. Um, Hello. Taryn, um, when you started, how did you get over being not being intimidated in front of, like, big names? Hugh Jackman, how did you kind of, like, rein it all in? I think I've been really lucky in the sense that the people I've worked with early on have been really, really... I mean, let's face it, most people are decent, aren't they? Most people are nice and empathetic and decent and kind. Like, it's only... It's like that amount who are the mental people who, like, (laughs) you know, want to shut the borders and, like, not let anyone in. Um, (laughs) (laughs) most, Most people... I think are really, you know, lovely. And, and obviously the, the person I worked with most closely really early on was Colin Firth. I mean, prior to that, I did a play with Julie Walters, who was equally as lovely. But I think those guys, I mean, they just know that that's how you're going to feel. So they, 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 they make the, they go the extra mile to, to make you feel relaxed. But also I think, I think, it, I want to be careful how I phrase this. I think in this country, <laughs> less so in America, but in this country, I think ambition is kind of, Seen of as maybe like a slightly ugly thing or like a dirty word. And I've always felt quite ambitious, I think, and always wanted to do well. And I recognise that when an opportunity comes your way, I think you have to, you have to find that self-belief in you somewhere. And a a member of my family is about to have an interview for a job they really want. And they were asking me about what I do when I audition or when I have auditioned. And I said, you, you, you've got to connect with your inner sociopath. You kind of, you, <laughs> like you have to, I think you have to do that. And I'm going to regret saying this, I know. I, but, but I think you have to find that somewhere, you know, that inner kind of like, okay, no, I am the guy for this. You, you have to find that. Otherwise, I don't believe you can make anyone else believe it. How do you do that? How do you access your inner sociopath? I know because I'm accessing them right now. But Yeah, I think, how, but how you, you know you, what I you mean. You walk out in front of 400 people, it's the, like, the least natural thing to do in the world so you have to go well no you have to rationalize it i mean they're either either they're looking for a guy to play the part and you could conceivably play this part or in your case they're well they're here to see me they're here to see me and some guests you know what yeah. I mean? yeah. <laughs> fuck off taron it's it's uh, this is all about me um so yeah that's it in a nutshell uh last question last question Hi there. I have a completely non-film related question, so sorry everyone. Um, I went to Aberystwyth <laughs> University and I loved it, and I just wondered what your favourite memory of Aberystwyth was. My favourite memory of Aberystwyth? The best times are when I have no memory of it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, as you will know, having spent at least three years there, the sunset at the right time of year is, is extraordinary, and I would argue, I want to say something really, really grand, like would rival the Serengeti. <laughs> But that may not be the case, but to me, (laughs) 
<laughs> to me, at least, it's the best place in the world to, to go and see the sunset. Wow, that's going to be on Welsh tourism brochures for uh, <laughs> sunsets to rival the Serengeti. Can I just very... I, oh, been... this is what happens when your publicist <laughs> isn't around. <laughs> I've, uh, I've just very, very quickly, I want to tell you, I've been to Aberystwyth. I've been to the A&E there. I had a fishbone, and they dealt with me very, very efficiently in about 30 minutes. So what a place. What a time to be alive. <laughs> big up a, a spotty bronglice, which is bronglice hospital, Aberystwyth. <laughs> and on that bombshell, thank you so much uh, for coming and for being uh, just completely grand. Yeah, I just dropped this on you, so that's, that's you know. Uh, not... Thank you for being so welcoming. Thank you very much. Amazing. Taryn Edgerton, everybody. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much to Taryn Edgerton, who was just here. Incredible. What a guy. What a guy. Time now to talk about this week's reviews, and we're going to start with the big one. It is out in this country already. It is Marvel's Black Panther, the 18th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, or basically just my Pornhub. Uh, we, discussed, we discussed the film briefly on last week's podcast, but now it is time to have at it properly, uh, albeit without spoilers, because we have... We will be doing a spoiler special for this movie. It's going to be out on Monday, next Monday, the 20th, I want to say, of sure, February. No, the 19th. The 19th. Yes, the 19th of February. And that's going to be with the, uh, the film's co-writer and director, Ryan Coogler, and the producer, Nate Moore. And they were fascinating. And uh, we've got to record our bit, so... Yeah, good luck. <laughs> so, uh, but let's talk about the film itself, which is, of course, the second big screen appearance of T'Challa, uh, the Black Panther, following his appearance in Captain America Civil War. Uh, it sees Chadwick Boseman reprise his role as a newly crowned King of Wakanda, facing his greatest challenge yet in the form of Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger. Helen. Sure. Um, yeah, so this kind of picks up shortly after Civil War. It's not entirely... Uh, made clear exactly when we're talking about, but T'Challa has not yet been crowned uh, officially, so there's a, been a little bit of an interregnum, if you'll forgive me. Oh, bloody um, good oh, words. Thank you, thank you. Good word. Word of the night. Um, and uh, he is gathering people in, basically, for that sort of ceremony. We meet him on a mission to stop some badens, basically, uh, with his right-hand woman, General Okoye, played by uh, Danica Guerrera, who is unbelievable in this film. <laughs> I want to be her when I grow up. She is genuinely heart-stoppingly great and cool and perfect in every single possible way. Um, so I'm very balanced, measured take on her, I think. Um, and we're introduced gradually to the rest of the, you know, the royal family of Wakanda, the secretive Af African nation from which Black Panther hails. And, and the real, I guess question of the of the film is what kind of a king is he going to be i mean we know he has these superpowers we know he has this super suit what's he going to do with his country is the bigger question here it's not about who is he going to punch although you can probably guess from the trailer um, <laughs> 
So it's it's really about kind of getting to know that that royal family, getting to know the competing personalities in this in this kingdom, the competing pressures on it. Does it stay safely hidden from the world? Does it keep its technology and its prowess to itself, or does it use them for good outside the world? So you have, for example, Lupita Nyong'o's Nakia, who's very much in the "let's do something to make the world better" camp. Um, T'Challa is it tends to be a little bit more conservative with a small C and very much sort of, well, hang on, you know, we've always stayed secret, stayed safe, like the ring at the beginning of Fellowship, you know, <laughs> should we really get out there and let our colours fly? So it's, it's, it's an interesting dilemma. It's not one we've seen in a superhero movie before. But more importantly, none of this really is what we've seen in a superhero movie before. The colours, the culture, the feel, the people we have not seen um, represented this way. The continent of Africa we have never seen like this. Um, and obviously, you know, Wakanda takes from elements from all the cultures kind of surrounding it. They've done just a gorgeous job of creating this country and making it feel real and making it feel grounded and making it feel representative of people who have never been represented on screen. And it is, it's just, it's glorious to watch, you know, as a, as a, person who's so white I glow in the dark I can only imagine how wonderful it is to watch um, as someone from the, that culture or that you know obviously not Wakanda but the area um, and, and see yourself represented on screen like this because it is it is just wonderful and I haven't even talked about the other characters like Shuri uh, <laughs> yeah. Shuri is like um, if your kid's sister were Q mm-hmm. um, and thankfully from, she from, isn't so it's from Bond good. and not, not Star Trek from Bond, Bond and Q, not, not I mean Star practically Trek. from Star Trek she's so powerful <laughs> she's amazing um, what if Andrew Angela Bassett was your mum, my God. What do you even do if Angela Bassett is your mum? Like, what a standard to live up to. You do what she tells you to do. You do what she tells you to do. You really do not mess. Um, It's it's glorious. I loved it. And did you like Michael B. Jordan? I loved Michael B. Jordan because, and again, I'm not going to give anything away and I'm not going to talk too much about him, but he is about a centimetre and a half away from being the hero of this film. Mm. Um, And and you would have to change so little about this film to for him to be the guy in the right and for for Black Panther to be the guy stopping him in the wrong. And and I love that. I love that you have that much sympathy for him and that much sympathy with his aims, which are in many ways very laudable. Um, and even his methods are not that, ex- you know, th- not that out there. And I think, I think it's amazing what they've done. I felt a little sorry for Chadwick Boseman, actually, because Michael B. Jordan is just fucking pure charisma. I mean, yeah. he's magnetic in this film. He's extremely good. No, I really, really, really like this. Um, I thought it was fantastic. To me, it felt almost less like a superhero movie and more like a contemporary fantasy movie. It kind of had those tropes of succession. Um, and it was kind of the whole sort of futurist vibe. I really loved the look of the film. I had a few issues with it that I know you guys didn't. I had some issues with the CGI in places. The green screen compositing uh, was, for me, slightly problematic and weirdly unnecessary in some places. Um, and also, without talking about the action too much, I felt the action peaks about midway, like the mid way action sequence is fantastic. Uh, you've probably seen it on the internet, there's a casino fight, uh, and there's more to it than that, but it's incredibly well choreographed. It's really funny. There's a wig jitsu gag in there, which is hilarious. Uh, Dana Guerrero, again, amazing in that. Uh, but I felt like the ending left me feeling a little bit wanting more. There wasn't enough to it there. Uh, and I thought Michael B. Jordan, again, fantastic, but I felt his character was a little unnecessarily dickish. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him slightly more subtle, slightly more nuanced. I disagree. Yeah, but he wasn't. And and we had some fairly uh, robust disagreements about (laughs) You told me I was an idiot. Yeah, I think I used another word, but thanks. You made me me look better. You did. Um, It rhymes with stunt. (laughs) 
We don't really have a HR department. Um, uh, so I, I'm with Helen. I mean, I was in tears by the end of this film, and I've been, I, I haven't stopped talking about it, and it's my favourite ever Marvel movie. And I feel very, like, emotionally actually connected to this film. I went on set in Atlanta. I interviewed pretty much the entire cast and crew. I've never been on a set like it. It was pretty much entirely African-American crew and African crew, which, um, as people who go on film sets a lot, you just do not see. And to see a film being made by the people who are going to be represented on screen, I cannot speak enough about how fucking important that is. And, God, it's make, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it because I feel like you did, which is I sat there and I thought the magic of that film stayed with me for ages and I thought as a similarly very white woman I cannot even begin to imagine what this will mean to somebody and when I spoke to the cast and crew what they kept saying was imagine being a child right now in especially in Trump's America you go to the cinema and you see this film and you see yourself as a hero you see yourself as a king like that cannot be overestimated in terms of importance we had similar feelings about Wonder Woman and about the significance of seeing that female representation and and I do you know and, and we our disagreements on the film are not about that they're about some of the quality issues which we disagree on but for me he Ryan Coogler is an extraordinarily um, visionary filmmaker he knows exactly the world he wants to create he went to the continent of Africa before he made this film because when they approached him about it he said to Kevin Feige I can't make this unless I go to Africa um, and they spent time there they researched it the world they create the production designer Hannah Beachler is an extraordinary woman she did Beyonce's Lemonade which I was immediately like, you're amazing. Um, But she's (laughs) created this world which is so lush and so rich and so just absolutely wonderful. And I've now seen it three times and I'm already planning my next visit. So I just kind of fell absolutely in love with this film. And um, and I thought the, the the performances for me were just incredible. And Michael B. Jordan. Oh, my God. So good. In, so good. Extraordinary, extraordinary. Everyone's good in yeah. it, except for Stan Lee, because his cameo is <laughs> oh, typically unbearable. Oh. Come on. Can we ban him from film sets, please? No. Oh. Imagine how good Michael A. Jordan is. <laughs> Do you know... <laughs> no. It's good. Um... Does it, it's not just Michael Jordan. This could have been a very different film, though, because Wesley Snipes wanted to make this film all the way he through did, the yeah. 90s. Yeah. Like, for yeah. ages he wanted to do this. And if he had got it off the ground, we would never have had Blade. And without Blade, yeah. we would never have yeah. had X-Men. And without X-Men, we would yep. never have had yep. the modern comic book renaissance. Oh, mm. my God. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about Wesley Snipes. It's all yeah. about Wesley Snipes. <laughs> absolutely. Blade is where it all began. I love that film. I love that film. I this is, film. Yeah, I, I think this is absolutely terrific as well. I think Chadwick Boseman makes a really interesting choice with with T'Challa. He's a character and a performance unlike anything I was talking last night with my wife, drinking game, um, about, about uh, T'Challa in this movie. And in the MCU, he feels to me, I've, I actually don't, I've not met Chadwick Boseman, mm. but he feels to me like there's the biggest disconnect between actor and character. In that, that's a proper performance. He doesn't talk like that. He doesn't sound like that. The quality of his voice isn't like that. And he's made a very, very specific choice to be a very, very still, very regal guy, which is a complete counterpoint to Tony Stark yeah. and to Thor, who's you know, increasingly becoming a little bit, not laddish, but you know, almost comedic in a way. And even, even Steve Rogers feels completely unlike T'Challa. And this movie feels like unlike anything else in the MCU as well. I would agree with that to, in, in terms of the, you know, the accent and the voice and everything like that. But he, he is a really internal guy, I would say. Yeah. He's like, he's mm. got real, real depth, like heavy, heavy depth to him. Mm. Um, and he's quite quiet. He's, he's, he's sometimes quite hard to draw him out um, in an interview. Okay. Um, 
But when you do, he's he's super smart. Yeah. And I don't actually think I've met that many people associated with the film who truly understood and articulated the um, importance and significance of what they were doing. They all had a really amazing sense of what this, the potential for this film. And they all still knew it had to be an amazing film, that it had to succeed on every level, you know, effects performances, all of those things, but they, every single person I spoke to truly, truly understood exactly what this opportunity was and exactly what this meant to people. Well, because the story has real weight and and real relevance. Like, yes. it goes to places I did not mm. think that they would go in a superhero movie. And again, we're not going to get into spoilers, but it's, it's, it's very right in your face, um, in politically speaking, mm. uh, socially speaking, and rightly so. Um, but but it, it, it takes real guts to do that. And they obviously all, it, there was a little bit of, I think, standing around holding hands and going, mm. right, we are going to mm. go for this. Mm. Um, and fair play, it works. So Terry, it's your favourite Marvel movie you're saying? Mm-hmm. Helen, where's it stand for you? Um, it's, it's, I, have, I have to see it a few more times, but it's, it's fighting for a place in the top five okay. with all the caps. I, I still love it. still think it's four stars. I'd say it's maybe around eight or nine. It's kind of hovering near Ant-Man and Doctor Strange for me. Chris? Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah. Don't you not fucking mess with Doctor Strange. <laughs> Cape foo. Sorry, I nearly just choked on my own breath. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's top ten for me. My top five is pretty much set in Infinity Stone at the moment. And... <laughs> uh, I, I I like this film the more I've seen it. I saw it for a third time last night, and it gets better and better. But, uh, yeah, it's probably seven or eight for me at the moment. But the, that's not an insult, because the MCU has so many films now to say that this is my top ten MCU. <laughs> there are so many that you can actually say that. But, uh, yeah, it is, it is a fantastic film. Four stars, then, for Black Panther. And next up, we have one of the Oscar and BAFTA frontrunners. <laughs> what happened what? there? Nothing. Did you add a fifth? <laughs> You just add a fifth? No. You can't just do that. You can't arbitrarily add a fifth. Can I we? Didn't, I we didn't. can we? Five stars for Black Panther, everybody. <laughs> Fuck it, six. Helen, you can borrow the star that you left off the Molly's Game review and you can oh! add it to Black Panther. Oh, Jesus. We may That's not why leave. I held it back, James, so I'd have it for this. It's fair. It's fair. We may not leave here in one piece. Hey, speaking um, of five stars. Yes. Oh, Shape of Water. There we go. I was trying to link to it, but, you know, it all went wrong. Uh, yes, so this is Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro's latest film, in which Sally Hawkins' mute cleaning lady discovers that an amphibian man, and that is literally the character's name, uh, is being held captive at the government facility at which she works. And because it's Valentine's Day, this is opening today, on Valentine's Day. Oh, they fall in love. <laughs> Lovely. So, Terry. Terry. I mean, you just told them half the plot, but sure. Um, it's in the okay. trailer. It's pretty much there. <laughs> so, um, I saw this last night for the fourth time. I have this thing about obsessively watching films I really like. And at the start of this year, I pledged not to do it because I thought I'm wasting my time when I could be seeing new movies. You Has could be worked? seeing Problem Child too. But no, you choose to see The Shape of Water for the fourth time. What's the film you've seen thinking. most and how many times? Oh, Christ almighty. Uh, Rocky... It's scum, isn't it? Uh, no, it's Rocky Four. <laughs> I used to, when I was little I used to have this weird thing where I had to watch it like twice a week um, which, which over the years really adds up <laughs> um, show for water so um, so uh, yeah Guillermo del Toro's fantasy epic set in 1960s Baltimore during the Cold War um, and yes yeah, Sally Hawkins is um, 
pretty remarkable, actually, as a cleaning lady at a research centre, a colleague, um, is uh, the lovely Octavia Spencer. Um, she is mute, as you say. Um, Octavia Spencer kind of protects her, does a lot of talking for her. Um, and she has this incredible uh, platonic relationship with the artist who lives next door. Um, I mean, partly because he's um, gay, but he's in the closet because it's 1960s Baltimore. Um, and this film kind of, it's funny because I think even though it's between, it's a love story between a mute woman and a merman, it's the most uncynical, joyous, human story of love I've seen in the cinema for years. And it's, and it's, it's got all of those things that Del Toro loves. So it's very much a homage to um, the golden age of cinema. It's in love with musicals. It's in love with um, everything that stands for. It's very rich. I mean, the production design on this Gorgeous. film is exquisite. There are some shots that I just want to stop. And like the detail in it, every single detail, the composition of every shot is breathtaking, um, as you'd expect, but it's um, incredibly moving, incredibly, like, just so uncynical. And I think a few of the criticisms that I've heard, certainly, and I first saw it in Toronto um, with other awful film critics, and they were kind of saying, oh, it's really cheesy, it's really... And I think if you give yourself over to this film and you kind of abandon all of that, it's just a beautiful, beautiful, joyful love story. Um, Doug Jones is incredible for a man who's, who, does, who makes noises during the film. <laughs> I wouldn't call it speaking, necessarily. And by the way, you know, if anyone's seen it, um, unless you went today, that the, the representation of the merman is, is beautiful, like absolutely beautiful. The relationship between them... The relationship... Shut up! The relationship... <laughs> re welcome to my world. The relationship between them is just extraordinary, like absolutely extraordinary. I also cried during this... I don't cry that much normally, not in real life, but during films I cry a lot, and it just... It absolutely knocked me for six. This world that he creates, and it's fully immersive. You walk into the cinema, <laughs> and you are... And it is, there is one thing. And you just become transformed. And somehow you find yourself invested in and believing in this most weird love story um i can't remember seeing a film like it and yeah i think i like it <laughs> i think i think that's what i was saying i think that sounded like a five-star review but i think they got you know and it's it will i absolutely think it, they're going to win big at the oscars i think they will do well at bafta i think this is it's just an absolute masterpiece i mean it's, it's pure poetry on yeah. the screen i was uh, when i was watching this movie I, I i kept thinking to myself this is just sustain it just sustain it because this is my new favorite guillermo del toro film and i just think it's an extraordinary film an extraordinary vision from uh, and, and if i've talked to him about this movie and he feels and shut the fuck up james <laughs> 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 he, he, he feels this is the first movie that he's made that is a complete representation of who he is, which is weird because it feels so much like all his other movies. Mm. It feels like a distillation of that, but I also think that it's his zenith in many, yes. many ways of what he's been going for thematically yes. and visually. It's, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous film. I have issues. Um, I, lo I loved so much about it, um, and even like the opening credits, I was like, "Well, I'm going to love this. This is amazing." Um, and and you know, Michael Shannon as a bad mm. guy, like there for it love him um 
something was lacking in it to me and it did improve on a second viewing so huh? I'm going to keep watching it actually because I, I do love so much about it but I think my issue w with it was I didn't always buy the love story because Guillermo being Gil Guillermo he loves monsters it's adores a them story, yeah, yeah. Um, and he wants his monster to be a monster to an extent at least and he, he gives the merman dad merman um, <laughs> a very animalistic quality and, and, and therefore sometimes that distracted me from the love story I couldn't understand why this intelligent woman fell for him in the way that she did and I find it quite difficult to buy the love buy into the love story as deeply as, as I wanted to mm -hmm. um, so maybe that I'm bringing my own kind of overhypedness to it um, and I am like I say I'm going to keep watching it because I, I, I love so much about it but just that that one thing didn't sweep me up the way I wanted it to okay Mr. Iroli I mean <laughs> I've said it before but it's free willy if the boy had fucked the whale at the end <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it might be I'm not a friend of whimsy. That's possible. I will grant you that. And it might also be that I saw this in a double bill with three billboards, which is an incredibly powerful, funny, affecting film. It's morally nuanced. And then you go from that to, to, to a cleaner fucking a fish man. And <laughs> it's Abe Sapien makes a porno. It's just... I just know. How would you not like that? <laughs> I mean, yes, all these things are true. You know, I liked the fact, I thought Commander Saru was very good as Fishman. I thought that was, um, <laughs> it was good to see him getting work outside of Star Trek. But yeah, no, I just, just, no, left me cold, left me absolutely cold. Came out through a board, three billboards, thought this is the best film I've seen all year, and then watched this and was like, well, no. What didn't work for you? Was it the connection between them in terms of their relationship? I mean... <sighs> I'm not even sure it was that. It was, it was boring. Oh, my God. It was just so boring. dull. Oh, my God. She just sits in emotes and he floats in his tank and then he, <laughs> he eats some cats and, you know, it's okay, just... no spoilers. Oh, yeah, okay. Thank you. No spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a little bit of heavy-handed exposition, oh, I, think is what, I think, is what you're talking about. <laughs> you are, like, dead inside. Yeah, I everyone's swear like, to God. It's better than Pan's Labyrinth. It's not even better than oh. Hellboy. Oh. <laughs> I'm just I saying. actually do think Pan's Labyrinth is still a better film. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh. Well, let's have a fight afterwards. So in the okay. car park, let's see how it figures out. See if it happens. wins Oscars, I'm, I'm... It will win Oscars. No, it, it will, will win Oscars. It absolutely yeah. will. It'll definitely win some yeah. below-the-line Oscars. I don't know how many... No, I think... It, mm, You'll mm, be green mm, around mm. the gills, my friend, believe me. <laughs> uh, when it wins Oscars... Um, uh, the only thing I think is... is uh, a, a misstep for Guillermo is that he didn't finish with the word Finn on screen. That... Uh. <laughs> That would have been big. That would have been big. Anyway, anyway, enough about arguing about The Shape of Water. It's five stars. Let's move on to a film I think we can all agree is fantastic, which is Greta Gerwig's directorial debut, Lady Bird, starring Saoirse Ronan as a young girl, maybe not dissimilar to young Greta Gerwig, growing up in Sacramento in 2002, which is now apparently a period film. Seriously. Uh, Jimbo. Jimbo, you can start on this one. Oh, God. Um, yes, I really like this, amazingly. Uh, yeah, no, this is, this is an incredibly good film, and really, really good to see a nominated. Is it five Oscars it's in for? So, Including yeah. Best Director, very well-deserved Greta Gerwig, who is in a category which 
is otherwise, as ever, a massive sausage fest. So, uh, you know, uh, she does an incredible job for a directorial debut. It's incredibly assured, incredibly confident. It's incredibly relatable. Yes, my inner teenage girl. It's resonating. <laughs> oh, my God, it is, like, uh, incredible. It's t- totally. <laughs> uh, no, it's just, it's so, it's so believable. And the whole, the crux of the whole thing is uh, um, Lady Bird's relationship with her mother, played by Laurie Metcalf, who, frankly, we do not ever see enough of. No. Because mm-hmm. she's principally a stage actress, and she, mm. you don't see a lot of her on screen. Yeah. Uh, you know, other than Roseanne reruns. And, uh, and she's so good in this. And I think the relationship, the kind of loving yet toxic yet antagonistic relationship she has with her daughter, and they push each other's buttons like absolute nothing, uh, completely, I think, summed up in that scene where her mother's having a go at her drive and her dedication. And because she can't get the words out of how to respond, she just throws herself out of a moving car. <laughs> as you do. Um, but it's really good. And there's a, there's a scene in, a, in the dressing room as well, just oh, where it's it's, they, go, yeah, they vacillate yeah. between sort of like screaming at each other and like being incredibly touching uh it's it's lovely you know it takes place in um uh, in, a, in a kind of catholic high school and it's the, it's that weird limbo between school and college where she's yet to decide who she is uh who she's going to be what her life's going to be like uh it's yeah it's it's incredibly good it's, everyone in it is really good everybody in it is yeah. really good i mean you, lucas hedges timothy chalamet who has to appear in all oscar nominated films he's the new john c Riley. <laughs> as does way. lucas hedges uh, as does yeah. lucas hedges yeah um and uh and and just the the sh- I think it's one of these films that looks deceptively simple. I think, yeah. and I think that's the reason. If you see any of these anonymous Oscar voter things that they put online, people are going, "Oh, I don't see why Lady Berg's nominated. It's not that good." It's like, well, it actually is, but it doesn't make a song and dance about how good it is in the way that some Dunkirks might. And so, <laughs> and so you don't realise, like, just the subtlety and the intelligence that has gone into just getting the balance and the realism and just the emotional. Oh my God, I'm going to say emotional truth. This is terrible. No, but don't do it, Helen. It feels, it feels emotionally true. It feels like this is, this is how it feels to be growing up mm. and to have a mother and to not really always get along with her, even though she means well and you mean well and everybody means well, but it sometimes just doesn't work. Mm. Um, I think it's extraordinary. And there's, there's mm. proper, like, the, there's a job interview sequence, which is really, I mean, oh that really gets you. Yeah. It's, yeah, the realism and re- relatability yeah. is, you know, and there's lots of milestones being crossed in this movie. Um, the first time you have sex and things like that. And the, it's the precise dialogue that goes along with those things. <laughs> there is no great kind of moment. There's no great epiphany. There are tiny incidental lines and moments and looks and that actually just do so much heavy lifting. And I mean, the fact that she wasn't nominated for a, for a Globe director it's is ridiculous. astonishing. Yeah. Best film and best everything else, and presumably the film got made entirely by itself. Um, the, the Oscars director nom, you know, only the, still only the fifth woman ever, yeah. and the first in a decade, I think, is, is absolutely deserved. And I'm, I'm with you. I think the confidence mm. in her voice and her vision is extraordinary. And it is, it's a quiet, delicate film. The nuance is incredible. Yeah. Um, I, w- I went to a... Um, not a woman-only screening. Is that illegal? But like a, a woman-heavy screening. And I was sat in a cinema with kind of 300 women l- roaring with laughter. And it was the, one of the best experiences I've had in cinema in the last six months. Um, it's, just, it's just remarkable. The writing, the performances, Laurie Metcalf. Yeah. Please, please do more films. Absolutely. We beg of you. Um, yeah, really and affecting. Saoirse Ronan, my God. She's just yeah. unstoppable. Yeah, she's pretty good. 
pretty yeah. good with the old accent. Adored it. Uh, I loved it. It's my uh, film of the year thus far. No, we're only in February, but I, we give it I, four, five, five. We four? gave it four. Uh, thank you. Uh, what I review- devilry is this? Um, I review- what the fuck? Is this not the moment to say I reviewed it? <laughs> you just lied to everyone. Um, I gave it. For- oh my god! I've, I've like you're the third person to shout at me this week for giving it four stars. Um, yeah, it, but I loved it, and there were, but it wasn't quite a five star film for me. But it's a okay. bang solid four. So, and yet, fish fucker the movie. Just- <laughs> Gets five stars. Um, I've reviewed billboards and gave it five, so therefore do I. Yes, okay. Yeah. Uh, four right. stars then for Lady Bird, which is which is wonderful, and along with Dairy Girls, really just made oh me go back to my childhood as a Catholic schoolgirl. <laughs> Just made me think, but it's an incredible film and such amazing. Straight out of the gate, she writes that script and directs that film. It's, I, I will say, though, it's weird that the Catholic school in America seems to be more weird and Catholic than the Catholic school in Northern Ireland. That, that really struck me. <laughs> um, that this whole holding hands up while they're saying mass, that was weird. Anyway, well. not to judge. Well, listen, Helen, we'll, we'll do our podcast, our spin up podcast, Catholics Are Weird, at another time. <laughs> Uh, because that's it. That's it for the reviews section. Uh, yeah. It is time now for our second guest. Uh, she's an incredible actress who's made quite a splash in both sides of the Atlantic on screens big and small. She went toe-to-toe with Idris Elba and his lovely coat in Luther. Uh, she impressed amidst the chaos of The Lone Ranger and is at the very centre of the emotional maelstrom that is the wonderful American TV series, The Affair. She'll be seen next week in Cleo Barnard's dark and brilliant drama, Dark River. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the wonderful Ruth Wilson! Thank you. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us this evening. No, it's a pleasure. For a very special live podcast. I was just saying to Ruth outside, I watched uh, Dark River two nights ago and you absolutely ripped my heart out of my chest and I think you were like, great! That's I was amazing. like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> now, you do play a uh, Yorkshire sheep shearer. I do. Try saying that. Sheep It's shearer. really hard. Sheep shearer. Sheep shearer. Sheep, sheep shearer. Sheep shearer. Um, I'm guessing that's not a skill you kind of already have. I mean, I don't want to make kind of jump to um, assumptions, but I'm guessing that's not a skill you already had. So talk to me about actually preparing for that role, because there's like sheep dipping, there's sheep shearing. Yeah, there's a lot of sheep stuff. There's um, castrating lambs. Actually, that, we didn't do that in the shoot, but I, I did it anyway. Um, <laughs> And that, that involves sort of a pair of kind of pliers and then this sort of very small elastic band. Um, and you put them over the balls and you make sure the balls are in the sack because that's not good if they're not. And then about two weeks later, the little things drop off. They shrivel up, drop off. Uh, it's only about 20 minutes of pain, it looks like. So there you go, men. <laughs> well, me too is going to be about. Uh, <laughs> That's the I'm next stage. Out. I'm just taking notes. Just <laughs> Castration. <laughs> no, but there was a lot of... Yeah, we did a lot. We went to a farm. I went to this amazing farm, this couple called Hazel and Malcolm, and they're a family up there um, of four, and they've lived on this farm for sort of three generations, and I went and trained on this farm. So they were... I shadowed them, basically, and it was a sort of lambing season, um, and you just learned to sort of, like, clean out their, sh- their feet 
and douse them, which was like giving them injections of various vitamins, um, shearing sheep, obviously. Uh, I didn't do a lambing moment, but it was, it was sort of amazing. There was something gruesome that happened every day. And I, I, I came out with ama- like admiration for these people that live on a farm and are farmers. I mean, they, it's brutal. And um, so I was, I, it was an amazing experience. What was the kind of single most horrific or horrifying thing that happened on that farm? Okay, there's a few things. I mean, there was a la- there was a sheep. <laughs> like sheep, <laughs> sheep are always trying to escape, uh, and like then I don't think they're very clever. But they so they try and jump over things they can't and go through holes they can't get through and things like that. And one tried to get over a fence, broke its leg, had to put it in a like spleen, thick spleen, is what you call Splint? it? Splint. Splint. It's a spleen, it's a spleen, something else. <laughs> uh, that's a bit of the body, isn't it? Anyway, uh, a splint. And uh, there's another one that had like a big growth on its neck and we had to lance it. So it meant that this pus was sort of jetting out across the farm. It was like massive spot, basically. And um, yeah, it's pretty grim. There was a, basically, there was a, I, had to, I also had to learn to strip rabbits... Uh, so I was, I was actually found it originally on YouTube. You can find everything on YouTube if you look. How to strip a rabbit comes up. And um, when, you say, when you say strip, do you I mean, mean skin? I skin, skin a rabbit. So I had to do that. Um, I also got rats, dead rats thrown at me in the shoot. By? By crew members. This was just... <laughs> This was a scene, it's actually, it's sort of trimmed down in the final film, but I was, we weren't allowed to obviously harm any animals in the shooting of this movie, so they brought on already dead ones, and um, I was supposed to be killing them, and they just started throwing these dead rats at me. It was, every day was sort of facing a fear, and a challenge, and trying not to look like I was traumatised. Actually, actually, it did help because my character was traumatised, so actually it, it completely worked. And you do have um, a very specific Yorkshire accent, right, in this film. So it's, it's, yeah. was it filmed near Skipton? Mm. Is that right? It's in a place called Empsey, which is very close to Skipton town. And how did you learn it? Because I didn't realise, um, it was actually, I think we were talking to the God's Own Country director, Francis Lee, and he was talking about the kind of specific accents in different parts of Yorkshire. Yeah. How did you go about learning yours? And then were there ever any moments where you kind of fooled the locals? Did you go down the boozer and kind of, you know, try and use it and see if they thought you were... Well, yeah, I mean, I had an accent coach who was sort of, I mean... they are they're really useful accent coaches, but they're also a bit confusing because they're just, you know, you, you kind of get so stuck on like a vowel sound or something. It's a bit annoying. So I, um, I would go down to the local pub, literally, like you said, and record people and subtly, they didn't know I was doing it. <laughs> it's like a little journalist. And, um, like I have hours of tapes of these people talking. And also Mark himself is not far... He's from Leeds, but he was putting on a thicker accent, so I was just copying him a lot. Um, but yeah, basically, I, I, I find the Yorkshire accent incredibly contagious. Uh, I don't know why, I just love it. So, I mean, if you ask me to do it now, I won't be able to do it, and it would sound awful. But at the time, I was just... I would just speak in it the whole time. 
So I would go down and pretend that I was from the area, and they did. So I was like, oh, where are you from? You're from around here. And I'm like, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lies, majorly. But it's a nightmare doing an accent. It, it makes up about 50% of your performance is mm. thinking about the vowel sound <laughs> that you're doing. It's, that's part of my acting, is just thinking about an accent. Thinking. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you, and you did mention... R, R, R is coming up. R is coming up in a minute. R, <laughs> like an American. <laughs> Me and Dominic West in the affair, we'd always have to do this accent to each other, always falling out of it and always getting our tongue down the back. Like, you lose your tongue down your throat because it's like you're going... R, 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 R. <laughs> you start, like, losing the R, like, your, your tongue. Which was the hard dangerous. accent? American is hard. It's just, it, it's actually harder than it seems. I don't know, maybe for me, but um, it's quite a difficult, it's much more difficult than it looks. It looks so easy and easy and it's not, mm. I don't find anyway. And you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but you, without giving too much away, you're... Actually, Geordie's probably pretty hard. I haven't Can tried you do Geordie? No, but I imagine that's Would you like to do Geordie? Yeah. But right I, now? No. Oh. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> I need work. I need practice. Okay, next time. Next time. Um, so you do play this trauma in your kind of character's background. Yeah. Um, and it seemed to really kind of affect the physicality of, of your performance. She carried herself in a really specific way. How do you prepare kind of mentally and psychologically for that? Because it was, it's, it's kind of a two-hander and it's a lot of amazingly intense set pieces. Yeah. Um, how do you prepare for that and then kind of stay in that mindset um, for the entire shoot. Yeah, this was a particular challenge, this film, because, you know, reading it, it's obviously about something quite traumatic. It involves sort of a PTSD of a trauma in the, uh, trauma in the past. And so it was about intrusive memories. It's also understanding what that trauma is, talking to therapists a lot. So it's an emotional piece. I had to sort of get into that world and understand what that was. Um, but also there was huge physicality. Obviously, all this farming stuff, I was like, oh, my God. And because it's Clio who sort of demands a certain level of truth, you know, her work is she often works with non-actors. So I thought, I've really got to be convincing in this world. So that's why I wanted three weeks of training on a farm. Um, but also the emotional capacity, you know, sort of the emotional journey of that character is so huge. Uh, and it's very intense. There's very few words in the piece. So it's really about the inner emotional landscape of this character. Um, and it was weird. I was training. I had to do another sort of form of training because I'm a sheep farmer or whatever. I need to know how to work with sheep dogs. So I um, did a whole session with on a farm with sheep dogs. And there was one there who was a redhead collie and she had these sort of yellow eyes and she wouldn't look humans in the eye. She couldn't. She was sort of scared of them, but also you got the sense that if she did engage with one, she'd probably bite their head off. You know, she was kind of vicious and had a lot of rage. And you felt like she might have been traumatized mm. by humans or something in her past. When she was on the, sh on the field with the sheep, she was so focused and she was aggressive and in charge and in control. And I was like, ah, that's, that's Alice. That's mm. my character. It's the sheepdog. So, You'll see I kind of use that physicality of not being able to make eye contact and feeling like touch uh, from humans made her sort of react in that way. Um, but she has an enormous amount of rage inside of her that she is scared of letting out. Mm -hmm. And if she connects with a human, that's what she's scared of happening. So I, I basically nicked it from the dog. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I've got to, you know, give her all credit, really. <laughs> 
And you do um, have quite a few formidable and or intense kind of women um, in your work. So I'm thinking about <laughs> Alice in... I'm, I'm using yeah. my words carefully. Alice in Luther, Alice again in Dark River. They're all um, fucking Alice. Alice or Alison. Alison in the affair, that's like... They're all... Yeah, I think there's a haunting going on. Mm, mm. There's someone chasing me, haunting me, called Alice or Alison. <laughs> And is it a conscious choice? And do you ever worry about kind of certain tropes in female characterization? Um, you what? know, Alison, for example, is quite highly sexed, but she's also very vulnerable and, and is working through a lot of trauma. How do you kind of consider those things when you're signing on for the roles? Um, I don't know. I just, I, I, I'm really interested in, um, people who are complex. I mean, everyone, everyone, we all are complex. We're very, you know, and I just don't think there are, non-complex characters to my mind so if there's a simple one on the page i'll probably overcomplicate it somehow you know I'll, I'll look for something else deeper in it because i find that interesting so if like alice morgan you know a, a psychopath and a nutbag but actually you know how do you make that appealing or personable or people like her you know, and you find sort of moments of weakness or vulnerability with her or humor or so it's about finding the two sides of a coin. We're all yin and yang. We all have the capacity to be or have capacity to have bad thoughts as well as great thoughts and be good human beings, but slices of something else. And so I, to me, a whole person to play a whole person is to look at every side of them and find in a scene what you can turn inside out in a way um, from what's on the page. So that, like, and with Alison, Alison, God, Alison and the affair, you know, that was on the page. It was like, I loved the uh, premise of it because suddenly I could play two very stark versions of the same person. And that for me was exactly what all my work is about, really. It's trying to find all the different levels. Mm. We may have seen a few pictures <gasps> of Alice. Oh, yes. Is she back? Can you tell us? She, she may be. Back? Is it a dream sequence? It might be. <laughs> <laughs> I might get shot if I say anything. <laughs> um, well, maybe we could ask you later. Maybe you can ask me later. Maybe you can ask her later. I'll still answer with the same answers. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep asking me. Maybe more of this will help. <laughs> um, it's wine, by the way, if you're listening. <laughs> And just to talk a little bit about female characters, um, how do you think something like um, Me Too, but more specifically Time's Up, which is very much about um, kind of constructive ways to move the industry forward, how do you think that's going to inform the type of female characters and roles that may become available? Do you think those two things will become linked and there'll be more opportunities for women? Well, what I think is happening, what's the most positive thing about all of this is that women are connecting with each other and women in the industry are connecting with each other. So for the first time, I felt like it's a community of women talking and sharing experiences and uniting and collaborating. And that's been the most positive movement. So for me, I think it will create change in the kind of roles we see and um and, and what, what's written what's directed because these women are starting to talk to each other mm. and actually support each other um and that's from female producers down to writers directors actors so that i think will create change because women for the first time are, there's a network 
and there's mentors and there's I mean I've never had that and I've always wanted it mm. I've always felt quite alone in this industry it's quite competitive there's very few female roles so you're up against all the other women and you only ever see them really in that context when you're auditioning or an event but you don't get to chat or to you know so I um I think that's what the best thing about it is is that women are starting to talk to each other and support each other and they'll create stories for each other. So I uh, yeah, I think it will change. Mm. And it's it's interesting that you what you're saying because you're saying that the silence isn't just about women speaking out when it comes to um kind of situations with men but silence that is between women as peers, as colleagues, um, do you think it's about kind of sharing their experiences or working together and collaborating together to kind of make more opportunities for everybody? It's probably both, really. I mean, the, the share of, sharing of experience has made us all realise that we've all been part of this system and that in in many ways we've been complicit in that as well. We've allowed it to happen. We haven't stood up when we should have done. We've, um, we haven't recognised that actually we are sort of victims of patriarchy in some ways. So I think that by sharing these things, you're going, oh my God, I felt like that too, but I just didn't have anyone to talk to about it or I, no one around me was listening to what I was saying or I felt judged for it. Or And now people are, are kind of understanding that we've all had that experience and, and what's the positive thing we can do about that and how can we step out of that and how can we make sure that the next generation of actresses coming into the industry don't have the same experiences and that for me is the positive it's been really lovely sitting in a room with women and just talking and actually thinking what can we do and seeing how like formidable and brilliant which we know anyway but like how brilliant women are and um that we haven't yet still seen really stories through their lens enough mm. and we need to see more and it's just about getting that material out there mm. um and why we're not being paid the same is absolutely <laughs> unforgivable in this day and age i don't understand it. it makes no sense mm. i mean really logically makes no sense um there's no justification for it so let's just get over it move on and like you know and um i don't know change it change it up and do you think women should be joining their deals i was reading the jessica chastain thing obviously you know basically was i think it's octavia and she said she realized she's being paid much less and they made it part of her deal was actually that they got paid with parity. Um, do you think there's some responsibility on, on, on women to do that for each other? Yeah. And I think for men as well, I think that, you know, um, like, you know, what's happened with the BBC recently and it's great that it's been, um, addressed or it's been called out that there's still lack of parity with pay. Now the BBC probably aren't going to up everyone's wage to the top male earner because they can't afford to so it's about men also accepting lower wages um we all have to take responsibility for equality we have to take responsibility that that is a basic human right and that women should be treated equal there's no reason why they shouldn't be so um i, I think men and women have to take that responsibility we all do yeah and start looking for it in and pointing it out and getting agents to start fighting for higher wages. It's, it's just not acceptable anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so I think we have time for an audience question. Who has a question for Ruth? 
Um, you have such kind of clear views about, you know, kind of positive future for um, different female roles with the industry. Who's been a core inspiration for your development throughout the years? Um, I don't know. It's changed, really. I sort of love, you know, it's always someone like Isabel Huppert or... Um, uh, Julia Moore or actresses that change. I mean, in terms of acting, that's who I sort of, I really love their work. I love their choices. Um, and then I sort of, I love, I mean, I like also people that are sort of Tilda Swinton or, um, Ray Fiennes is experimenting with directing and is doing comedy. You know, suddenly it's got a whole new, for me, it's about reinventing yourself and keep trying new things and challenging. So, I sort of, that's why I'll, I'll do theatre, then I'll do, I'm now producing something and then I'll do, you know, I'll, I want to direct at some point in my life. It's like, I think that I'm interested in the whole creative field. So for me, I look at people that are constantly challenging themselves. That's who I want to sort of replicate. And if I can have a long career, yeah, brilliant. That's what I want. So it's fingers and all the pies, keep trying, keep challenging and keep learning. So those, those people are kind of people I respect and admire. Hi. Hello. Um, I just wanted to understand, or when you did The Lone Ranger and did a big budget movie like that, then didn't perform so well in the box office, did that change your opinion and you focused more on doing smaller work and TV, things like that? Not particularly. I mean, I loved that um, experience. The Lone Ranger was one of the best experiences I had. It was incredible. It was, you know, seven months, it was a long time, seven months. <laughs> That's not that. Who is that? That's me with a bit. Is that your home? <laughs> home video? I think it was a home video. <laughs> um... No, I didn't, I didn't have a bad experience on it. That didn't make me go, oh, no, not going to do that anymore. I had a really good time on it, and it was probably... <laughs> I, I give up. I don't think people want me to answer this question. <laughs> I'm giving up. Um, no, I had... It was one of those films that you go, I don't think a film will be made like that again. Gore Verbinski is quite a unique director that he... I mean, it's 250 million. It was a big movie, but they made two steam engine trains for it. We had like a human train track in Albuquerque built. I was like pinching myself. This was amazing. It was, it was phenomenal. The fact that it was a flop, I thought it was a great movie. I mean, that's my opinion. I think it's really interesting. It's quirky. It's fun. It's beautifully shot. Um, it didn't put me off, actually. I just, I did a series of roles. It was like that. It was Saving Mr. Banks and it was Sweet Francaise and they were all women left with kids and their husbands dying. And I was like, this is, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I decided that I wasn't going to take any more women wives with crying babies and that, you know, that's it. So I said, I just didn't choose those parts. Those are the parts that are available. And to be honest, the smaller, the stuff in TV or theatre was where the bigger roles were and all the more interesting roles and more complicated female roles. So I just follow the part, to be honest, whether on whatever medium it is. Um, so no, I loved that experience. I had a great time on it. It's a shame it didn't work, but I might still be doing them if it did. So. <laughs> 
Silver um, linings. So, Dark River is out next Friday? 23rd, yeah, whatever 23rd. day that is. Please go and see it. <laughs> and um, join me in thank you, the amazing Ruth Wilson. Thank you. So that was Ruth Wilson, who's just been in the room. Amazing. Ruth, Ruth Wilson, everybody. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to bring this baby home now. Uh, you lot are going to grill us if you want. You can roast us as well as Valentine's Day. We're, we accept that. Uh, so we, may, we have some Rovia microphones, I believe, unless the ushers have fallen asleep. In front of you. Can't blame them. Yeah, that's mine. Fuck off. Uh, we have some Rovia microphones going around here. So, yes, there's a... Gentleman with a hand. <laughs> More than one, hopefully. Yeah, there's two. Thanks. Um, I, my friend and I have got this approach when we're on planes about watching something that doesn't involve too much thought, you can easily fall asleep to, mm. and you don't need to actually kind of work out too much complex in the story. And I just wonder what the, what the panel's tactic was when you're on a plane. I just flew back from Singapore. I watched Geostorm and fell asleep and slept the entire journey back. Um, and you, I just, you, yeah, wanted to know what you guys did. You probably missed the best stuff. <laughs> did you see the bit where Jerry Butler gives a, a message to his brother, but is coded yeah. in the form of another message? It's amazing. Um, I... <laughs> Can we just have another round of applause for Jerry Butler? <laughs> To answer your question, I always watch uh, the, the films I maybe f half meant to get around to and didn't really bother with uh, on a plane. I tend to especially catch up on mid-level comedies. That is the ideal plane yep. movie for me. Yep. Um, it's the sort of um, uh, bringing down the house. Was that the one? No. Well, it was the one, the house, just the house. The house. Right? With, yeah, yeah. with Will, Ferrell Will Ferrell and uh, Amy Poehler and that. Yeah, that I saw part. it on the plane as well. Uh, that's yeah. a classic plane movie. So basically, yeah. any sort of mid budget, fairly starry comedy that didn't get great reviews, that is your plane movie yeah. for me. I literally never turn on the entertainment system on a plane. <laughs> What? Never. He goes with a loaded iPad. I bring my own entertainment on the plane. He's such a balance. <laughs> it's true. I bring my iPad loaded up with the stuff that I want to watch. Although it sometimes goes really horribly wrong, because I was on a flight to LA and I watched almost all of Spartacus Blood and Sand, which is one of the porniest TV shows <laughs> ever. It's wall-to-wall -wall cocks, the whole thing. It's yeah. just, it was, it was uncomfortable. Yeah. I was sitting there to a kid as well. It was really, it was wrong. <laughs> It was, it was, I don't like to talk Ooh, about it. I did once watch The Jinx on a plane, though. That six-hour oh, HBO yeah. series. That was, a, that was such a great plane ride, because every half hour I was like, what? <laughs> and I had to put on the next episode. <sighs> Do you watch Weepies on planes? Because the oh, rarefied yes. air. I, I watch, um, I save, because I, funnily enough, I don't really watch rom-coms for work, so I save them for my plane journeys, and then usually weep all the way to wherever I'm going. Mm. I made the mistake of once watching The Time Traveller's Wife and My Sister's Keeper back-to-back -back on the plane. Oh, <laughs> I watched what that's, uh, the one with Sam Claflin, Me Before You. Me Before You. Christ, I watched that twice in the same plane journey. Because I, watched... <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> because I watched it once and I was like, oh my God, this is so emotional. I can't believe I've never watched it. I must watch it again. <laughs> yeah. This is leading to Stuart Escott. Are you all right, madam? Because <laughs> you seem to have watched a shit film twice in a row. <laughs> Uh, 
I, I watched Sully on a plane. That was a really oh. interesting. <laughs> Really interesting experience, but I don't mind. It's fine. But the people next to me were terrified. But you know, it's all good. Uh, yes, comedies. I watched. Uh, that's where I watched Captain Underpants, which is a really fun animated really movie. Film, yeah. And it's also where I watched the animated, the sorry, the Oscar-nominated Boss Baby, and then gave up halfway through because life's too short. Uh, okay, in time for another question. Yes, please. There's a lady here in the third row. Fourth row. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Maths. Jesus. <laughs> If you had to choose two Marvel goodies to die in... (laughs) In in Infinity War, part one or part two, which two would you choose? Oh, my God. I I genuinely don't know that I can Hawkeye this question. But that dude is just, he's a goner, isn't he? He's just... But we thought that in Age of Ultron, and that was a bit of a, a nice swerve. Uh, do you, that I want to see die? You have to choose to. Yeah. Or they'll all die. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like a weird version of the trolley problem. <laughs> Hell, I can't think I can do this. Okay, I'm not okay. okay. I'm uh, not okay. I mean, Hawkeye's definitely one of them, isn't he? Yeah. He's shit. Yeah. Um, he's not shit. He's shit. He's not shit. I mean, what's your special power? I've got a bow and arrow. Uh, well done, Trick you. Trick arrows. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it's Tony Stark is going to go, not because I want him to, but he's expensive, and frankly, it's <laughs> financial sense for well, Disney to I'm get sorry, him, Tony, so. you're too expensive to continue. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I did think that, you know, it would make a certain amount of sense because the first film out of the gate after Infinity War is Spider-Man Homecoming 2. Home going, I don't know, um, and uh, and and he's dealing with the fallout. Yeah. So like he's closest to Tony. Yeah. So that yes. Would make his mentors. Gruesome yeah. um, death. So we, yeah, you know yeah. what? Tony deserves to go because he he fought with Steve in Civil War. So I'm going to say Tony and like you know the yeah. Nick Fury. Well, I think he was. <laughs> he was. Uh, it's going to be Steve Rogers, Helen. Don't you even? Don't you even? He do not even. Quite justified in fighting Cap. After all, Cap. <laughs> did lie to him about the death of his parents anyway. Let's not get into that. He didn't lie. He just didn't say his hashtag, suspicions. Hashtag Team Tony. It's all good. It's all fine. Uh, yeah, I think that I think one of the, the big two will, will fall. I think Spider-Man Homecoming 2 we know is going to start a couple of minutes after the end of Avengers uh, 4, 3, 4, 4. So it's probably going to be Peter Parker holding Tony Stark's severed head. <laughs> And just weeping for 25 minutes. Oh, <laughs> That'd be all right. But uh, yeah, the, the, the ones that would hit me hard would be, would be, would be Steve. Steve, I'm not, I'm not yeah, okay. I, I, would be, I would not be okay with that. Anyway, anyway. Nah, <laughs> uh, let's go over here. Yeah, you've, 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 you asked Taryn Edgerton the question. So yes, please, right here. Thank you. If they were to do the unthinkable and remake The West Wing. Oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's Valentine's Day. <laughs> who, would you, who would you cast in the new, new lineup? Well, is it, is it Aaron Sorkin's essentially said, Sterling K. Brown, he wants him to play the president, mm. and I think that's an inspired choice. Yeah. Uh, Brown is up for it. Uh, Aaron Sorkin isn't on Twitter, but Josh Molina announced this on his behalf. God, who else would it be? I mean, I... Mindy they... Calling is Josh Lyman. No, 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 why not? no, 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 no. We can not? have a new West Wing of the new ministry. We cannot recast Josh Lyman. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> no, it's Bradley Whitford forever. Bradley Whitford is now 
you know, playing the bad guy in the yeah. post. So he's got to move on. Yeah, no. Uh, no, I'd like to see... They, they talk about this on the West Wing Weekly. Greatest podcast around. Uh, and uh, they talk about what would happen, how they would pick it up. You know, would they... Would it be another administration? But then what would they all be doing? Would they all be hanging around? You know, why would they still be there? You know... Um, no, it'd be I, a whole new... Whole but Sorkin yeah, genuinely is thinking of doing this. Like, he, it's, it's something he's kicked around. I think he needs a, a good narrative arc to kind of hang it on. Um, yeah. Uh, Where will he find that at the moment? Well... <laughs> but then that's kind of the problem, isn't it? I mean, I watch uh, the West Wing religiously again at the moment to remind me that the world was once a nice place to live in. And, um, you know, it's, it's... Don't torture yourself. Yeah, it's comfort yeah. food. I think a lot of people do. Uh, Madam Secretary does the same job a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, recasting, no. Just bring them all back. Just reenact. I don't know, do something, but no. Don't recast. Never recast. Never recast. Yeah. I don't care. Uh, so, uh, right here in the middle, yes, please keep your hand up so we can, yes, get the microphone to this, this gentleman. Bo- both of you at the same time. Uh, hi. Hello. Um, yeah, so I was wondering, because it's Valentine's Day. Yes, what? I will. <laughs> okay. um, what movie do you find yourself watching around Valentine's Day and... Why isn't it that Valentine's Day movie that came out a couple of years ago? <laughs> well, it isn't that one because it's not very good at all. Um, uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't acknowledge Valentine's Day's existence. <laughs> um, I mean. Of an evening, if I'm watching something, it's probably Captain America or Aliens. So, <laughs> Captain America or Aliens. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, if I were to pick a Valentine's movie, it would be fucking Love Actually, and all of you can fuck off. <laughs> it's brilliant. I love it. Terry, help me out. Well, help well, me out immediately. Well, so I watched About Time three times in the last ten days. Um, <laughs> There's a pattern there. Really <laughs> yeah. this, I'm not coming out with this well. So my favourite rom- romantic film is True Romance, so that would be my first go-to. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I am massively into About Time at the moment. I bought it just so I can watch it more. Is it, um, is it Donald Gleeson? Donald Gleeson, and he can travel in time. Yeah, yeah, that's by, cool. by, just by <laughs> clenching his fists in a dark cupboard. <laughs> it's amazing. Is that how he ends up in The Force Awakens? <laughs> <laughs> A really long, long time a ago. long time ago in the galaxy <laughs> yeah, far away. I haven't seen, I haven't seen, I can't bring myself to watch that movie because, you know, dead dad issues and all that stuff. Anyway, but um, what a, we don't really watch anything, do we? We watch four in a bed marathons. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and then run up to Valentine's Day because it's the most romantic show on TV. Um, but we don't watch anything because we don't celebrate Valentine's Day, which is not our way of saying that we forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> but the most romantic movie of all time is, of course, While You Were Sleeping, in which oh my God. Sandra Bullock, not, not creepy at all, falls in love with a man uh, who gets knocked into a coma, and then she has to pretend to be his fiance. But then she falls in love with his brother, who is a furniture removal guy, played by Bill Pullman, and it's all very, very complicated and brilliant. Did you see it's that great. Peter Gallagher has recently been playing Jane Fonda's love interest, which mm, I enjoyed? Has he? Mm. Has he? And Grace and Frankie. Highly recommended. There you go. There you go. But we talked about while you were sleeping, and you have to let it lie. I can't let it lie. It's it's so weird. I mean, it's so weird. No, it's really as wrong as the title suggests. He's unconscious for pretty much the first like two hours of the film. There's like 15 minutes when he's awake. The bits with her and Bill Pullman are really charming. Oh, so good. I know, but she's still mooning over the unconscious man she's never actually met, who she's like spied on through from her little weird booth for the last two years. She's strange, but isn't she a flawed and complicated figure? 
Right, that's it. We've got time for maybe two last questions. Yes, please. Right here in the fourth row. Hand went up oh, right oh, away. Is that the fifth row? Fifth, fifth row. row, fifth row. I can't like fucking count. But, but yes, there's a lady oh, with her hand the, up. Does the other man still have the... What other man? There's another man? There's I thought yes. the other man has We'll come to you. We'll come to this lady first, then we'll come to the man with the microphone. Did you bring your own mic? Or did they give it to you? Sorry. Hello. You. It's um, about the MCU. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the origins of it and um, how many films do you think Kevin Feige actually planned or envisaged mm. before the term MCU was actually coined? I think he planned phase one yeah. at the very least and I think he maybe had some thoughts about people he would like to see further down the line. I don't, I don't think... I think what's been impressive about the MCU and the reason that it has worked while pretty much every other shared universe has failed is that it, it did learn to walk before it could run which is ironic given that Tony Stark says exactly the opposite in the very first film. Um, <laughs> but I think that's, that's why it has worked. Like he, he had the sort of the plan in his head maybe for phase one, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't putting the cart before the horse basically. He was trying mm. to, he was taking it very incrementally and it was only when he kind of, you know, certainly yeah. by, not before Iron Man 2, they didn't start talking about Avengers, right? Yeah. In fact, yeah, when they announced the MCU effectively at Comic Con, I think it was 2006, uh, with John Favreau and Edgar Wright, uh, Feige said that, you know, we're going to announce, we've got Captain America, we've got Iron Man, we've got Thor, we've got Hulk, and you know where that leads. Now, hopefully, ideally, it would lead to the Avengers. But I also think that had Iron Man 1, 2, and Incredible Hulk, tanked we wouldn't have had an Avengers yeah. so I think they were being very very careful with their planning initially and now I think they probably got to phase 47 I think they probably <laughs> yeah. all of us will be dead <laughs> that's depressing but uh, there will be Marvel movies and they, they will long outlive us but not me because <laughs> I'm going to live forever okay it's the only thing to keep me alive quite frankly uh so hope that answered your question. Yes, please, man who brought his own microphone. Um, when, when Hugh Grant rightfully wins his BAFTA for Paddington <laughs> 2, um, do you think that he should return for Paddington 3 or should they continue what they've done so far and get someone new? And if they do get someone new, who do you think it should be? They should get someone new um, and it should be uh, George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have a reason for that, but you know, it needs to be somebody A-list, um, and it should be somebody who hasn't played too many villains in comedies before. And he's really good at comedy. We don't see him do enough of it. I um, mean, he's done it for the Coens. Why can't he do it for Paul King? Come on, it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. I have a complicated uh, relationship with Paddington Three, and I, I love the first two movies so much. I so almost much. don't want them to do it uh, because I just wrong. feel that they can't. You know, they bought Lightning twice. Can they do it a third time? Yeah. But I would hope that they can. But yes, I think Phoenix Buchanan, I don't think he should become the, the Lex Luthor of that franchise. No. <laughs> Plotting from prison to get that little bear. I think you should leave him alone. It'd be so hard to top him, though. He is so good in that. I don't yeah. know what you do. Maybe have, like, eco-wise or something. <laughs> Just yeah. fight Paddington. <laughs> I'd watch that. I would watch it as well. No, no. But also, Phoenix Buchanan gets his moment of triumph, doesn't he? At the end, he gets his moment of redemption. And I, I quite like that the fact, you know, it, it leads on him singing Stephen Sondheim, yeah. which, is, which is great. Um, all right, we've got we to gotta wrap this up. Um, if they were going to make an Empire Film podcast, the movie, to celebrate your 300th podcast, who, which actor would you get to play yourselves? That's Jerry my... Butler! <laughs> He'd have to work in his abs. But I think he could pull it off. I, oh, I don't know. Um, Jerry Butler playing all the roles. Yeah, it would be literally... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd like to look like Jennifer Connelly, so let's say Jennifer Connelly. I mean, just that's all I got. 
That'd be good. Doug Jones in a fish suit. <laughs> uh, Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> See, you're laughing, but it's fucking true. <laughs> He's a lovely man. He's good with kittens. We discovered. Oh, then I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah. Terry is not good with kittens. <laughs> she drowned ten out the back <laughs> earlier on. Just how she gets her kicks. Uh, yes, please. Well, what's the film you're most looking for in 2019? 2019? I barely know what's coming out this year. <laughs> Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel. For, it's episode. Four billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. <laughs> It's going to be absolutely amazing. All right, Helen, you can pick who's going to get the last question. This is the last question. Um, no, no, no. This gentleman here is the first hand that I saw go up. Okay, this gentleman here. Of the 300 episodes of all the interviews, what was the one question you regret not asking? Oh, God. Oh. So many. Jesus. Uh, Have you been sitting on that all night? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Uh, in case, in case you were, uh, didn't hear that at home, someone said, "Is that the question?" <laughs> yeah. I, I, honestly, I don't know. I, I... I'm kicking myself at the moment about not asking Ryan Coogler something very specific about Black Panther, but you know, it's fine. It'll it'll pass, and yeah, we got plenty of good. It's always good the spoiler stuff. specials, isn't it? It's the spoiler specials yeah. you regret. It's not funny. I remember it's true. One time, I got into an app. Do you remember this? I got into an absolute rage with Nick and Phil because they went, they interviewed, they interviewed Colin Trevorrow for the Jurassic World spoiler special, and I was, I was like, ask him, ask him why the uh, what's it, the, the the big T Rex thing at the end? The what's it called? I forget. Dionysus Rex, wherever it's called. Indominus, Indominus Rex, thank Indominus you. Rex. Thanks, ask, ask him. Thanks, Nick. Uh, it's Edmund from Jurassic World, everybody. Hooray! <laughs> I, why, why is it a mixture of a T-Rex and a Velociraptor? That's very important. And I was sitting outside the place where they were doing the interview, and I kept texting him going, have you asked a Velociraptor question? Have you asked a Velociraptor question? And at the end, they came out, and they went, that was great. We got 45 minutes with them. And, and what did he say about the Velociraptor question? <laughs> no, we, we didn't ask it. For fuck's sake! <laughs> This is an outrage! You call yourself journalists. You're not even Woodward and Bernstein, not even Woodstein and Bernwood. Uh, but we're okay now, which is yeah. good. But that's not a question I didn't ask. Uh, I obviously ask the, all the questions at all the <laughs> right times. I mean, there's loads I haven't asked, but I don't remember what they were because I just blanked them out as soon as I've come out of the room. I just assume it was all incredibly embarrassing. I never listened back to the interview and <laughs> just live in blissful ignorance. That's yeah. my key. I have to listen back to them now because well, you're trying to transcribe me, but also, you know, I edit them. And uh, yeah. Yeah, transcribing like... is always painful because you're listening to yourself ask the wrong questions. Well, this is why I don't do questions. it. Yeah, yeah it ha- but it needs to be done, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I pay a student in America to do it. <laughs> And Terry thinks it's really bad journalism. <laughs> it's yes, really I bad did. transcription is what it yes. is. Yeah, I, there was a point where, where he put Arthur D2 at one, and I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> that is not worth a dollar fifty a minute, I'm sorry. <laughs> what are you going to do? Oh, my, it's Arthur D2. <laughs> All right. I think that's it. That's it. That's it. We're done. We're done. done. Sorry, guys, if you didn't get your your time to ask a question, but we do have to wrap up because the King's Place people do have to go home. Uh, And that is it for our 300th episode. Incredible. Amazing. There's more. There's more. There's more. There's more. 
Join us next week for more film-related fun where we'll be joined all being well by Lenny James of The Walking Dead and director Nick Murphy to talk about their new Sky TV show, Save Me. And possibly, we're trying to work on it, uh, one Mr. David Tennant as well. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, don't forget to look out for the spoiler specials for Black Panther and The Cloverfield Paradox, which we're recording tomorrow, so that will be up. Uh, the Cloverfield Paradox uh, coming in your podcast devices. And uh, some thank yous, of course, as well. Thank you, of course, to the team at King's Place for asking us back to do this podcast and being so brilliant, uh, particularly uh, Zoe Jays, uh, Sally Hollingworth, uh, Jacob Silkin, Holly, the uh, floor manager out the back, has been fantastic, and all the technical and sound team as well. Thank you to everyone who gave us the amazing spot prizes for this pod, Dark Bunny Tees, Criterion Collection, Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, Organic, Ferref, Fetch, Think Jam, Grapevine, Dozy, Biggie, Mick, Titch, um, <laughs> Premier PR, Substance, Way to Blue, uh, the HBO Store, and Nick Dissemblian, uh, who donated the Marvel Cinematic Universe box sets that I nicked off his desk <laughs> early on today, and he was not happy. But, you know, in fairness, they were just DVDs. This is effectively glorified coasters. So... <laughs> Blu-ray, baby. Blu-ray. Uh, thank you to our incredible guests, Taryn Edgerton. <laughs> and Ruth Wilson. And uh, thank you so much to you guys. I say this every time we do a live podcast, but your passion and dedication to what we do keeps us going from week to week. I think we can all agree about that. Uh, we're simply blown away every single time by your support every time we do one of these silly events. Christ, pretty much sold out today. That's yeah. this blowing my mind. Absolutely blowing my mind. And uh, thanks, of course, to the three giggling idiots to my left. It's goodbye from Terry White. Goodbye. James Dyer. Bye. Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. And it's goodbye for me. I am off to find out the score of the Porto Liverpool game. I'm kidding. I've been checking it all the way through. And believe me, I am very, very, very fucking happy. Uh, and then I'm going to leap out of a giant Nick Frost-shaped cake at Simon Pegg's birthday party. Bring the noise. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for coming. 350 next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.